I've got this gut feeling. Like we're recording here on Thursday, the thirtieth. Uh, but I've got this feeling like I'm leaving tomorrow, and I'm not. I've, I've got yes. <laughs> but I really feel like uh, I feel like I need to rush through the show and pack. <laughs> I've got. It just feels like it's coming so fast. Uh, I don't know. It is. It, it is. It's a lot. And I'm not even editing video. <laughs> uh, I've. I've. As you can guess, I've. I've got. Uh, I've done copious research for this episode. <laughs> yes. Likewise. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, so anyway, we are. This is the WWDC WWDC 2019 preview episode of the talk show. I like doing these previews with my good friend Renee Ritchie. Uh, for one thing, my my lack of preparation you'll you'll usually have it all in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Brad, that rat bastard uh, Panzerino? Uh, yes, got, got another. Got to go into the Star Wars Galaxy Edge again and. Uh, Go on the Millennium Falcon and all that. That son of a bitch. He's never come. The worst on the show was again. like last month where he got to interview Tim Cook in Florida and then go for a preview <laughs> of the Star Wars ride while wearing unreleased <laughs> Nikes and I'm sure drinking Pappy. <laughs> I don't know about the Pappy part, but uh, the rest of it was true. Did you see his, his Instagram too? He was like packing for Disney and it's a suitcase full of sneakers. <laughs> Living the dream. I mean, he, he engineered the perfect job for himself. Yeah, he really did. He really did. I got to warn you. I hope I, I hope I got all my devices silenced. But we've we had a flash flood warning an hour ago here in Philadelphia. I don't really live on oh, a flood no. floodplain, so I should be all right. But you know, it makes all your devices uh, go go crazy. We were flooded for about a month. I mean, like the two lots next to me were about under eight feet of water. Yeah. My problem isn't the actual flooding. I really, I, I, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever you want to do for good luck. I don't think that where we live, that we're actually at risk of a flood. But like I said, uh, for podcasting, having your devices start <laughs> making yes. that emergency, emergency broadcast yeah, right, is not, not really conducive to good audio. So my apologies if it goes off again. But anyway, uh, where to start? I've got some follow-up, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, no. Now you're the only one. Now the previous episode. This is, I think there's like new tags. I actually am way behind on this. I think there's new iTunes tags um, for podcasts that include things like uh, the schedule that the show is published on. Like you could make it say weekly or monthly or something like that. Um, do you know anything about this? At least some no, podcast co clients are showing stuff like that. Anyway, I have to look into it. But I yeah. keep meaning to update the talk shows too erratically. <laughs> there, I just got done posting episode two fifty two with the crew from Panic. Um, yeah, literally, at, at the last time I was sitting before I sat down to record with you was when I hit finished publishing and linking and all the various stuff for that. So I think everybody who's listening to this show has probably heard that one already except you because you couldn't have heard yes. it already because it just went up so you don't know you don't know anything about it but i'll bet no, you're you excited anything you want <laughs> I'll bet you, i will bet that you're excited about the play yeah. date yeah absolutely it's a it's a good litmus test enthusiasm for the play date is a good litmus test for people who share my enthusiasm for tech uh um, it's just we live in a wondrous age where people like cable and panic can make a device like this like realistically build something that they're dreaming about it's right. it's amazing well and without raising a ton yeah. or any money they didn't raise they, they borrowed nothing they're they're you know funding the entire thing off the profits from their existing business 
Uh, you know, it's like when I wrote about it. In the 80s and 90s, having new platforms just appear was something that happened every yeah. year or two. And you'd get excited. And, like, General Magic is one that pops into mind where it was yeah. you know, this crew like Andy Hertzfeld. And I forget who else was involved. But, uh, you know, Andy Hertzfeld certainly jumps into mind as as one of the primary creators of the original Macintosh, you know, just a bunch of, you know, guys and women from the uh, original Macintosh team were there for that. I didn't think they had a great idea. It was, you know, a handheld PDA type thing when, when we called these things PDAs and they took the desktop metaphor to uh, an extreme where it was, it looked more like a video game where there was a desk and then an actual like Rolodex and an actual telephone and you interacted with it almost like interacting with like a game, but the pedigree was fantastic. But and, and you know it's just exciting. You know it didn't work out, but it, things like that just happened. You know all of a sudden the Palm Pilot appeared. Right, it was just a new platform, and that one did have legs for you know a decade or so. Stuff like that just happened. That doesn't really happen anymore. You know yeah. it's like, and at the highest end you know, uh, of competing, you know, with trying to compete with the iPhone or with Android or something like that, it kind of makes sense why new platforms don't just appear because they're so far behind. You you know, even Microsoft with, with Windows Phone, which was, uh, I, I would say, feature complete, right? It had, yep. it could do everything you wanted to do on a phone, but it just couldn't take off. But that's Microsoft, like the, right now, the single biggest market cap company in the world. And, you know, for the last 20, 25 years, one of the top two or three, you know, richest companies in the world. It it wouldn't make sense for a small company like Panic to make like a cell phone OS. Just yeah. too big of a job. That's what makes Playdate such a brilliant idea, that the scope of it is something that's totally within their their capabilities. Yeah, and what the, the remarkable thing about it, too, is it lets them have complete artistic vision because even if you worked at Palm under Rubenstein right before WebOS was announced or at Nintendo with the Switch, it, it was a, it, in some form there's committees, there's accountants, there's mm. people who tell you what it can and can't be. And you do have constraints no matter what you're doing, but when you're doing it on your own, especially when you're a company like them, you, you can engineer for what you want without having to worry about all the overhead that comes with large companies. Right. Oh, exactly. And that, you know, uh, where was it? Was it in the blog post? I forget where Cable, he didn't talk about it on the show, but Cable wrote about how they went to a company in Portland that maybe would help them with the hardware. And they kind of went in and everybody was wearing a suit. Maybe it was on Twitter. I forget where the hell he did it. But, uh, you know, and they, they effectively got laughed out of the room because the scale was too small. And that was that was before then they then they went on and, and hooked up with teenage engineering over in Sweden who got it right away, did the opposite of laughing them out of the room, jumped in yeah. with two feet and said, Yeah, let's make this thing real. Yeah. I mean <laughs> it's contagious. When you show it to people, they immediately they smile like they're five years old again. Right. It's just fun. Yeah. Now somewhere out there there's listeners of this show who've <laughs> went through an entire two hour episode that was all about the play date and they're not interested, <laughs> not interested in the play date. And now they're worried that here we are squandering important WWDC preview time talking about it. I just had to continue my enthusiasm for this device yeah. and platform. I'm just so happy that, well deserved. that they're pulling this off. Let's see what else I've got here on my old follow-up list. I got a couple of things here. You know, a couple of episodes ago, uh, Merlin Mann was on the show. I don't know if you had a chance to listen, but yeah. I, I was feeling under the weather at the time. 
a lot of people wrote to me, asked me if I'm feeling better. Yeah, about three days after we recorded, it was. I'm still feeling. It was a weird, some kind of weird bug, and it was. I usually when I get sick, I would say nine times out of ten when I get sick, it's exactly the same thing. It is a head cold, a classic head cold. My nose is blocked, my eyes feel funny, and I can't can't breathe right. This time it was weird. I don't know what it was. It, it, it was, and it was, I was so weird. And I never was 100% certain that I was sick until all of a sudden it was like Tuesday night. All of a sudden I just felt better and instantly started sleeping better again. But Merlin turned me on to, because uh, I was having trouble sleeping. That was the gist of it. And Merlin turned me on to sleep tracking with the Apple Watch. Do yeah. you do this? I have. I've used David uh, underscore Smith's uh, Sleep Plus Plus. It's very good. I have that. I have two apps. I have Sleep Plus Plus from David underscore Smith of uh, underscore fame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at Merlin's recommendation, an app called Sleep Watch. Um, now, I, I don't know why. I never I never really looked into this. And, and I guess because dating back to the Series Zero Apple Watch. Yeah. I just have always been never really been in the habit of sleeping with my Apple Watch on. I do like to sleep with a watch, but I usually take it off, put it on a charger, and put like a mechanical watch on in case I want to check the time in the middle of the night or something like that. Um, but and the other thing too is I sort of figured it was like doing a workout where you have to start and stop it. Like you tell your watch you're going to bed, tell your watch you woke up and then it measures all this stuff. And I just, when I go to bed, I just want to jump into bed and fall asleep. And when I wake up, I don't think I can't think of stuff like that. I'm a very slow starter shocker, but it turns out you don't need to do that. You just wear your Apple watch, go to sleep. And these apps detect everything they need to detect automatically literally no start no stop i don't have uh watch apps installed from either of those apps your watch just the biometric data that the apple watch naturally takes and then uh transmits back to your iphone securely you grant these apps access to your to your health data these are iphone apps and they just automatically do this and it's really interesting to me. And, and because you literally have to do nothing other than the only thing you really have to do is figure out some sort of schedule for charging your Apple watch other yeah. than overnight. So, you know, the most obvious is, you know, like when you're in a shower or something like yep. that, which gets me most of the way to hundred percent, you know, find another time throughout the day to give it a little bit of a charge and it works. Um, fascinating stuff. I really, it really is. I, I, I really can't believe how, and, and the, I just can't believe how totally automatic it is. Yeah. And then you, the other thing is you have to remember to go look at it and then try to figure out what it all means and how you can improve things. And if you're getting too little sleep or you're not sleeping well during certain periods, if you're getting enough REM sleep, uh, which is always interesting for me. Well, I let both apps, I, I granted both of these apps permission to send me notifications and I think both of them do the same thing where at some point in the morning or, you know, for me afternoon, you know, after, right after I get up, uh, <laughs> they just send me one alert a day with like, here's a summary of your night before. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think sleep watch is a little bit more accurate, like, uh, at detecting my sleep times. I, you know, but it's close. They're, they're both close yeah. to an uncanny degree at, at showing it. And, for things like um, like today, I was still sleeping, but I heard the doorbell uh, a package arrived, and both of them you know have this five minute gap in my morning where I, I knew I was up. I just remembered thinking like, hey, I'll be interested to check 
if these app, you know, what these apps show for that five minute stretch around, uh, you know, nine thirty in the morning, and both of them had it. Really, really interesting. Uh, so my, I thank Merlin. I thank David underscore Smith. I thank the makers of Sleepwatch. Um, but for anybody out there who who's never really tried it, uh, thinking like I did that it would be a pain in the butt that you wouldn't keep up with, really, I, I it can't hurt to try it. these apps. You can get you know try them for free, and it's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see if Apple Sherlock's that at some point in watchOS. And Nintendo, I don't know if you saw it, but earlier this week, Nintendo announced their version. They're making a sleeping game and hmm. uh, a no, sleeping I, accessory. No. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's called Pokemon Sleep or something. And then you put this little uh, bracelet are, are you, on while you, you're sleeping. Are you putting me on? No, they said that we've revolutionized walking by rewarding you for doing walking with game <laughs> points, and now we want to do the same thing for sleep. Huh. So they're working with Niantic, which is the Google spinoff that did Pokemon Go with them, and they're making an accessory. It's called the Plus Plus, I think, because previously they had just a plus. So the better thing than plus is plus plus. Uh, and it's a sleep thing, and you'll get rewarded with game events and bonuses hmm. and stuff if you wear it while you're sleeping. Not to not to be confused with sleep plus plus. No, <laughs> well, no. I think David has a case. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I would not be surprised if this gets Sherlocked by yeah. uh, by iOS, which <laughs> will lead us into a discussion of what might be coming in iOS 13. Just it just seems natural, and and it really does seem like the watch is already collecting the data that needs to be there. Like I said, you don't press start, you don't press stop, you don't say okay i'm up i mean you can adjust it manually later if you want to if it got it wrong or something like that or if i guess like you know if you didn't have the watch on or something um so i you know uh, and they have bedtime in the clock app already they just doesn't really do anything interactive yet yeah and i don't want that you can set these apps to give you suggestions for like tell you when to go to bed i can't i can't have that No, it just it just it annoy you because you know you have more stuff to do. Right. <laughs> or I'm not finished with a movie or something. I, yeah, totally. I'm not going to bed before I finish the movie. So anyway, sleep tracking. Give it a shot. Yeah. I, I cannot believe that I was uh, – how ignorant I was about how, how automatic it could be. A couple of episodes ago – I don't even know how many at this point. This has been sitting in my follow-up queue. Uh, I complained about how hard it is to connect AirPods to your Mac – and what I want, uh, like with that that utility from Guy Rambo, uh, yeah. AirBuddy, AirBuddy, you open it up near your Mac and you get a little little nice window, sort of like the one you got on iOS. Except his has a button that says Connect, and then you can hit the Connect, and then it pairs them. I want the iOS one to have that button yeah. too, so I could switch when I switch between my iPad and my phone. I I, I want it to be easier. A couple people told me. Uh, that you can on the Mac connect them using the volume menu bar item. I didn't realize this because I've turned off the volume menu bar item years ago. You know, out, yeah. out of some sort of effort to, <laughs> to to make some sense out of spring cleaning the gazillion apps that want to have an icon up in your up in your menu bar on the Mac. So I didn't need the volume one. I have, you know, volume keyboard controls. I think I have it on my iMac, but on my MacBook I don't. Um I just use the the buttons on my on my keyboard for volume, but I didn't realize that the volume menu bar icon has a way to connect them. And I figured I would mention while I speak about this problem of having way too many menus up there in the menu bar, make a little recommendation. There's two apps that I know of that help you manage this. The one that's been around the longest is called Bartender. It's an app, a utility you use that lets you uh, hide and show 
menu bar icons up there. And then you have just a little thing that you can press to show the ones that you've hidden. So they're there, you can get them, but they're not always there. Like at least on my 13 inch MacBook, a lot of times if I use a, a an app with a lot of menus like BB edit or some of the uh, pro apps, anything that has a lot of menus that you get like a collision where the icons coming in from the right collide with the help menu coming in on the left from the actual menu. Bartender can totally solve that. There's another one called vanilla, which I was using for a while, but I think bartender is more polished, at least version three. Do you use any, either of these utilities? No, mine is just like an ever increasing junk drawer of many. And I should have known to look for something, but it's just more and more stuff builds up in there. And since I have room, I haven't had to deal with it. Yet. I think I might be misremembering, but I think older versions of bartender, they add like a bartender item. And then you hit that item and then a sub menu bar opened underneath the menu bar with all the ones you stashed away. Oh, and I, nice. some, I found that distasteful. Bartender three instead gives you, you can set the icon to something else, including like a guy that looks like a bartender, like in a tuxedo, <laughs> but the default is just a little dot, 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 which means more. You click the dot, 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 and it toggles between the ones you're showing now uh, and the ones in your okay. other set. So it's like you have two sets, the main one that's in your regularly visible, hit the dot, 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 and it switches to all the alternates. I like it a lot. And it only costs a couple bucks. Well worth it. Nice. I'll try uh, that. What else here in the follow-up? Yo, the other thing is that on iOS, I did know this, that you can go to Control Center on iOS, go up there to the top right, pull down, and go to the media playback thing in Control Center. And then hit like the the airplay looking button, and you can yeah. switch to uh, your AirPods from that. I knew about that, but it's not a great solution for quickly pairing it to another device in all cases. Because for me, a lot of the time, like let's say I have it set to my iPad, I have my AirPods paired with my iPad, and a lot of times when I want to quickly switch them to my phone is because I'm on a phone call. Like somebody called me or I called somebody and I'm like, well, I want to, I, I like doing all my phone calls with AirPods. I think it sounds better. I, I love having it in both of my ears. You know, it just seems like a convenient way to make phone calls. But when you're on a phone call, you can't use the media playback controls because it's not media, yep. right? So it doesn't <laughs> work for that. So I appreciate the suggestion to everybody who sent it. And it's good to know that for media playback, you can go up to Control Center and do it. But I still think there should be an easier way. I think there should just be like an optional dedicated AirPods button right there in Control Center. And you tap it and it just quickly pairs your, your main AirPods. I don't know. Yeah, the thing is that the, there's a contextual control in phone app once it detects the AirPods. But if it doesn't detect them, there's no way to solve that problem. Right. And the thing that's hysterical right. to me is that if you enable it, there's the remote listening button gets front and center on on control center but you 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 can't turn on the airpods to actually turn on remote listening without going into a buried menu setting yeah it's yeah they just need to think that through some more and then what was the last one i think the last one i think it was the episode paul kfasis was on we were talking about how there is a battery replacement program for airpods uh it's like 50 bucks a piece and i was confused as to what whether it was before or after the warranty, and I think it's before the warranty expires, you get the $50 per AirPod uh, replacement thing. Uh, so that's it for follow-up. Anyway, there's been a lot of controversy. A lot of people are bitching about the AirPods. Yeah. Uh, who, there, there was a, a, a really bad piece, in my opinion, on Vice that I didn't link to. The Macalope did a good job of sort of dismantling it. Uh, like I hate AirPods and then you shouldn't wear them. Uh, 
And it really, it really seemed to be, to be not about AirPods or their place in our society, but rather the writer's hangups and, and, uh, there's this really weird trend and there's really real trend. I see it like in the outline and in, in business insider, tech insider a lot where someone goes, like they'll go to an Apple store and they'll have to wait five minutes. And that prompts an entire article about how the Apple store has, is, is terrible now, or their iPhone is terrible. And it's not like we sent 10 people to 10 different Apple stores at 10 different times and recorded the, it's not like old school reporting. It's just like, ah, I, you know, this was bad. I'm going to complain about it in article form and they publish it. And it's, it's really strange to me reading that when I'm used to reading, you know, actual journalism. And then the other piece that was out there this week was about the recyclability of AirPods and that yeah. they're, they're, they're a, a tragedy, a disaster. Uh, and I guess I kind of get it. I mean, ideally there, it is a little wasteful that like two, three years in a battery wears out and it makes financial sense just to buy a new pair rather than replace the battery. Um, and, you know, it's just the world we live in now where batteries are built in. You know, even the Playdate has a built-in battery. It's not I, – I t- talked about that. It's just – you just don't you – don't, you don't see many devices these days with replaceable batteries. I mean, there's uh, a design cost. Like, and that's the thing people don't think about. You'll, they'll often say, I want it to be repairable, but you can't change anything about it. And that's not how it works. Like AirPods that where you could unscrew them and put in a AAA battery and screw them back on <laughs> would have to be designed completely differently. Right. They'd also be much bigger. They would be much heavier. I mean, you, you can have whatever you want. You just can't have it all at the same time. And Apple right. does recycle them. Like they, they put right. out, I forget, it was it Lisa Jackson or somebody said yep. that there's a remarkable amount of material that they can get from them. But battery is just fuel. It's like you fill up the tank and eventually that wears out and you have to replace it. And in these cases, just think of the AirPod as a battery. You have to swap it out. Um, it's, it's a very tiny, tiny package, mostly a battery with a couple sensors and speakers strapped onto it. I thought that, and I realized that they do have batteries and the lithium ion isn't good for landfills and it makes them a little different than old wired air buds. Um, But the Macalope made the point that in in the Macalope's household, there were on a monthly basis, there were wired air air buds being thrown out for years because they'd get caught on a doorknob or something and fray. They just didn't last. I mean, I've, we've thrown out here in the uh, daring fireball world headquarters, we've thrown out an awful (laughs) lot of wired headphones over the years for the same reason that, you know, they tend to get frayed. Uh, you know, they broke and I realized physically they're, you know, it's the same size as air, AirBuds, AirPods, but you know, I realized that the lack of a battery makes it slightly different. But well, the Bose noise canceling ones that I had, the buds, they would—it was a joke in our industry that they would wear out after a year, and you'd have to buy the latest version, it's just because yeah. you had to keep recharging them, and the charge cycles are finite. I still have my first Air AirPods. I still, I actually have a still. I, I guess I should send them back. I've got the new ones from my review unit. Yeah, I've, I've been using. That's a good reminder to send those back. But my original pair from. What two over two years ago? They 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 don't char- hold the charge they used to, but they're fine. They're you know they're not. I, I didn't. I, I use them a lot. Amy's definitely had less battery life because she's like a daily. She uses them yeah. like more extensively every day, and hers you know definitely was showing strains. Yeah, the convenience has a cost in charge cycles. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's it for follow up. On to uh, let's talk WWDC. Lots. I, I I get the feeling. My spidey sense says uh, 
it's going to be a, a a big one. I guess yeah. it is most years now. I guess it's almost like you know when's the last time there was a sort of meager WWDC. You know, I feel like Apple's firing on all cylinders. They've gotten, I think, uh, a little bit, uh, well, a lot more consistent about being able to keep multiple operating systems up in the air at the same time on a you know regular basis. The years where the Mac doesn't even get updated or long, you know, distant history. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the last one where there was a lot of pushback was when they first announced Apple music and they had Jimmy up on stage for an extended period. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was not good. That was a, that was probably the worst <laughs> moment in an Apple keynote that I can recall. Yeah. Cause it seemed very clear, uh, that for whatever reason he had decided not not to rehearse, and <laughs> and then they had like Boz a couple of years later. And she did this almost a better pitch, phenomenally well. Yeah, well, and then he got confused at one point. Remember, remember <laughs> yeah. what did he say? It was like a, something that sounded like a. Uh, I'm never going to remember exactly, but no, it was something either. that seemed like an in joke to the crowd, like referencing some old Apple thing. But it wasn't. It was just a coincidental turn of phrase. But when the crowd broke into applause, it it like totally took him by surprise and took him out of it. Yeah. Very yeah. awkward. I don't anticipate yeah. that. Was that a WWDC? That was WWDC? Yeah. It was a one it was one of their one more thing. I think yeah. so. One of their one more things. Yeah. That was really strange. I might have that wrong, but I th- yeah. it might have been a September event. I'm not I have to double check now. Yeah. Well, who knows? Uh things that won't be announced are things that they announced in the last week or two. Uh, yeah. New MacBook Pros and uh that just a Two days ago, the uh, the iPod Touch, which had been rumored to have a uh, pending update for a long time, suddenly appeared. Yeah, uh, June eighth, twenty fifteen. So yeah, WWDC. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bad fit for WWDC too. Yes. I realize some of it. Sometimes it's if they have something to announce, and they don't want to wait until September, and they don't want to hold a entirely different event in the summer than WWDC it is, whether it's developer-related yep. or not. But that one seemed particularly... It just was a bad fit. And it, I remember, too, it was a long keynote. Yeah, yeah. What do you want to talk about first, iOS or macOS? I think iOS probably uh, has more going on. Yeah, sure, yeah. Because, well, the iPhone is the most popular device, and uh, they sort of want to get that up front a lot of the time. So we have we have leaks uh, from all from as far as I can tell, mainly from two sources, just yeah. uh, Key Rambo at nine to five Mac and uh, Mark Gurman, surprise surprise, uh, yeah. at Bloomberg. Uh, so we know some things, or we think we know some things. Uh, I I think that there's still a lot that we don't know, though. I'd be very surprised if there's not a fair amount that we that we don't know. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't cover even the leaks that there have been. They cover a few high level features, but there's always, you know, I don't know, like a d- 10, eight, 8 to 12 tentpole features yeah. in a release. And some of the teams seem way better at containing that stuff than others. Yeah. One thing I heard this year uh, from a pretty good source was that this is the first year that Apple's distributed internal betas differently than before, where I don't know how many hundreds of people within Apple are are already seeded with iOS 13 betas. I, I don't know, probably a lot. Um, but that this year, the builds that are being, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I don't have it firsthand. But what I've to understand is that they've made a new build system this year where a lot of stuff that's cosmetic is 
like effectively in, in programming terms, if deft out of the builds <laughs> that are distributed, actually it's probably ex- exactly how they're doing it. <laughs> but, uh, so the builds, a lot of the builds that are, that employees have don't have a lot of the cosmetic stuff that's changed and that maybe that's why it's a lot, some stuff has, has not leaked. I don't know. Well, there were a few years where people had to wear those, uh, the years where they had bigger design changes, like when they changed well, iOS 7, obviously, but even when they had the new control center, they had to wear those privacy shields on yeah. their phones whenever they went out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it you know, stuff often links, leaks, uh, 48 hours before the keynote, just because yeah. all of a sudden while rehearsals are going on, it's all of a sudden more people have to be led into the circle and therefore there's more people who could leak. So who knows what will leak after we record, but. And they're getting better. Like there's a few years ago where things would hit internal mailing lists and then they start to leak and then they started to <laughs> buckle down on who would have access to those mailing lists. I mean, they're, they are getting better at it, but it's still surprising how much and not like not accidentally. Like there was a couple was it one year they accidentally posted one of the firmwares without uh, masking out a lot of the internal code. And yeah. the, I think Steve or somebody found it. But this year it's just traditional old, classic old leaks. Yeah. Uh, dark mode has long been rumored, uh, and even without leaks, the fact that it appeared in macOS first was sort of a yeah. hint that it might appear in iOS. Um, that's something, you know, people are excited about. I, I don't know if it's my age and my eyes or what, I can't really get used to it. Um, I use it, I, I've used it for years in BB edit. I've had a dark color scheme in BB edit and I do a lot of writing there. Yeah. And so I can definitely I, I can use it, but for navigating the whole system, it, it always throws me off a little bit. So I, I don't anti- I don't really use it on the Mac. I just keep a handful of apps like BB Edit in dark mode, which I also like just to make it very, very easy to identify it visually. You know, like there's my BB Edit window over there behind this other window. I can tell because it's all almost yep. black. But, but people I, love it. I mean, people love it as much as they love emoji. I'm sure it's like Craig said that last year when they showed it off on the Mac, just huge applause. Yeah. And even if you don't use it because you ultimately find it super oppressive and kind of depressing, you just want to have it. And they've been teasing. Well, not, they haven't teased it at all, but people have been expecting it. It came to the watch and then they thought, oh, we'll get it on the iPhone for sure. And they come up and they say, we have dark mode for Apple TV. Do you and mean, then, the, you oh, mean the, OLED phone? You mean the Sorry. watch app for the phone? Well, the the, the watch well, itself well, the, has always been dark mode. Yeah, the watch came out with dark mode, and then people thought, oh, the iPhone's going to get yeah. it too. And it didn't. The Apple TV got it. And right. then we got OLED iPhones. And like, oh, finally, we're going to get dark mode. And then the Mac got it. And then this year, finally, or you know, expectedly, finally, we'll get dark mode on the phone, probably you know, for Marzipan compatibility, if nothing else. I'm curious, I'm curious what they'll do with like the, the Apple Watch app for iPhone, which has always been effectively dark mode it's a almost yeah. black or black background like when you're in dark mode will the watch mode turn light <laughs> or or it should just follow right like it should follow it they should have to make a light mode because right. maps already has both a couple things have both but everything should have, have both it should just be standard consistent developers should be able to use it built-in apps it's either in light mode dark mode and it'd be nice if you could have it change at sunset or by some timer mechanism yeah i i, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that because i think apple tv does that right or am i am <sighs> I'm i making not sure that i'm <laughs> i'm 80 percent sure 
I, I w- I'm sure enough that I would wager that I have my Apple TV okay. set to be light mode in the day and dark mode at night. Uh, and the funny thing is I never really notice. Like it doesn't, yeah. it isn't like, <laughs> like, oh, it's switched. It just seems very natural. Yeah. It's a full screen device. I think I'm more likely to use dark mode on iOS than I am on Mac, but there are certain apps that I think it, it would be so weird to be using in dark mode, like email, right? Like, I, I don't yeah. know why. I, it just seems crazy to me to have a black background for email, even though when I first started using email in the 90s, it was with a black background in a terminal window. <laughs> so I, well, guess I guess the point is that it doesn't glare. Like if you're yeah. if you're in bed with somebody else, it's not glaring and keeping them awake yeah. while you're typing out your email. Yeah, and everybody's long been speculating about it because OLED can do black in a more power efficient manner because yeah. it's not lighting up pixels to make them black. It like turns them off. Um, so everybody's always thought, well, dark mode would be more would give you more battery life. But I I don't I I think I've read a few things where it's like. In theory, yes, but in yeah, practice, it doesn't the, work out that way. <laughs> the The difference is so minor as to be yeah. theoretical. You know, like maybe you get like one more percent, you get like three minutes of extra battery life before your phone dies or something like that. It's not the sort of thing where it's like, holy crap, my battery lasts fifty percent longer because I'm in dark. Yeah, and it's got to light up and unlight the pixels. So I think it ends up working out to, like you said, just a very all, all the things about OLED, you get nothing for free. There's so many ways you have to mitigate that technology just to make it workable that it's astounding. Yeah, yeah, totally true. So there's dark mode coming. What else we got? Uh, new reminders app, or at least a, yeah. a, a, I, I, I forget who I'm stealing this from, uh, maybe multiple people. But I like the analogy that uh, I think the Apple Notes app used to be a piece of hot garbage. Um I, yes. never, I really hated the way it looked. It was it was one of the the poster children for the uh, the skeuomorphic design, where it looked like an actual paper pad, had ripped yeah. pages at the top, it had like uh, staples, and it the thing that of course killed me was that it used the uh, like the what was the name of that font? marker felt marker felt font. <laughs> the one thing I'll tell you, I was talking, I was in a Slack today talking to friends, and we were talking. Somehow Scott Forstall's name came up. Yeah. And he, I will say this, you know, and he was obviously instrumental in, in the, the entire look and feel of iOS throughout that entire era, multiple times where I either met him like after, you know, chatted with him briefly after a keynote or just observed him like after an event, um, uh, he was a rabid user, or probably still is, of of the Notes app. Like yeah. anything that popped into his head, he like the way that I use like a paper notebook for stuff. He he used the app, and I remember seeing him one time. It was at the uh, the twenty twelve October event, <laughs> a week a week before his wow his exit from the company. Uh, it was an event actually held at the California Theater in San Jose, yeah, uh, which is near and dear to my heart. Uh, for obvious reasons, uh, he was not on stage in that event. And then a week later, we all, hmm, I guess that's why. Yeah. Uh, but I did see him in the hands-on area, which was tiny. Were you at? Were you at that event? No, I don't think so. You would have remembered it. Uh, yeah. It was because it's a beautiful, beautiful theater. As anybody who's been to the live episodes of the talk show at WWDC can attest, it's the same theater I've been using since WWDC moved to San Jose. Uh, but the theater didn't really have a good hands-on area and it was one of the last shows apple did where they just sort of 
made the best of what the facility had as opposed yeah. to the last few years where if they need to build an entire pop-up building like yeah. they did with <laughs> remember with the apple watch they yeah yeah they created an entire building <laughs> on that college campus in cupertino just to have a, hand, a massive hands-on area uh, for the apple watch so it was a real tiny little area anteroom of this theater real low ceiling real hot um but I saw Forstall by himself, and what was he doing? He was pecking away in uh, Apple Notes. So, you know, at least he used it. Uh, so I give him credit for that. But anyway, as of a couple of handful of years ago, they, they did a major, major revision to Apple Notes. They, they, it used to sync, believe it or not. I, I, this seems crazy, and it's partly why I hated the app, but it used to sync over IMAP. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right? And you're like, IMAP, isn't that the email protocol? And it's like, yep. yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and is IMAP meant for that? No. <laughs> it wasn't. It technically worked. And I guess it worked best with iCloud because I, Apple could then make sure that their iCloud, you know, Mac.com, me.com, yeah. whatever you were using at the time, that their their IMAP server would at least work in the way the notes app wanted it to but using it with like gmail was crazy um i remember for a while when you used it with a gmail imap account even if, if you enabled imap on your gmail account the way gmail was set up was like every time you made because it was treating the, the imap server thought these notes were emails yeah <laughs> and you'd edit them and every time you edited a note for a, some period of time when you had it syncing with gmail it would create a new note <laughs> So every edit was a new note and you'd have a, like, if you edited the same note eight times, you'd have eight copies of it, each with incrementally more text. It's not a good system. Anyway, no. uh, three, four years ago, three years ago, four years ago, Apple uh, switched and they rewrote it. And now the syncs via cloud kit and it's yeah. really good sync. And of course in iOS seven, it got a new interface and uses, you know, it still does have a press interface. Yeah, it still does have a bit. <laughs> it still is one of the few apps that has any hint of skeuomorphism, or for lack of a better word. And apparently they had to spend an awful lot of time to get a look that Jonathan and I was happy with for that. Right, because it's, it, it, it's it, you know, there's, yeah, there's like a little bit of a 3D embossed yeah. to the navigation text, etc. Uh, but anyway, a serious rethinking of an app that had been sort of languishing in a... A very, very rudimentary form for yes. years. Uh, anyway, long story short, it seems like that's what they're doing with the Reminders app, that the Reminders app has been there for, God, I don't even, I, it wasn't in the original iPhone. But no. It's been around for a while, though. Um, and the, it seems like they're really, it's a very serious evolution of this app, making it more useful. But I still think simple enough from what we've seen of these screenshots that it's not like a Sherlocking. It's it, yeah, or, or or things. things who yeah. I will say is has sponsored uh, the talk show in recent weeks, so I'll just uh, say that as a disclaimer. Or our friends at the the Omni Group, like you said, with Omni Focus. Um, in the same way that it, that the updated Apple Notes app hasn't hasn't killed third-party notes apps you know there's yep. apps like bear and a couple of other ones that are more popular than ever so it's a good way it's a good uh balance for apple to strike and i think it's a good it's a good app for them to to give a little love to yeah it should have basic functionality not no functionality it's <laughs> good guideline. uh the best thing uh, to me the best thing about the built-in reminders app now is using it with siri 
and saying, yes. hey, Dingus, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning Friday at four. And that, to me, is rock solid, works like a charm. I don't want it on my calendar. You know, I just want my ding all my devices to just ping me at four o'clock on Friday to remind me to go pick up the dry cleaning. Yeah. And I think SiriKit has had to do functionality for a while too. So you can, you can dingus a lot of different apps now. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. That's, you know, if we want to go off the, the path here of delineating things that have leaked and talk about things that haven't, I'm really interested to see if there's a lot of Siri stuff for developers this year because uh oh god help me with his last name john john g yeah john g andrea <laughs> g andrea the uh, former head of search at google who left for apple uh about a year ago i believe yeah is that right is that the time frame he got there a about a year bit ago. longer but not much yeah uh, yeah maybe it was a like, few months ago got yeah. senior vice president <laughs> yeah on him. yeah which to me seemed like a uh forget if you were the one on the show when we talked about that when he got the title upgrade yeah it seemed like maybe it was like a, a mutual trial period I, i'm sure it's not you know his reputation speaks for itself as head of google search but you know maybe it was like a personality fit thing before they bestow the very limited number of senior vice president yeah. titles at apple yeah, I don't imagine anybody just walks in on one of those. Right, but he, at least you know, very few people. I, I, I'm very curious if the fruits of his uh, leadership and you know, it, 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 Siri's been uh, even before he got there, the whole Siri and AI effort has been under it, 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 a very serious, a lot of changes from years well, ago. Didn't Bill get it like a a week after Scott left and it was sort of just dumped on like he no he built joined the company Scott left and then immediately he was given Siri right <laughs> and then it really had no ownership because he uh, he had no vested interest in it Scott was the one that was pushing it previously yep. and then it sort of bounced around in Eddie's org for a while before being shipped off to Craig and now yep. now finally it has a home with people who want it and love it well and in a very serious commitment uh, to yeah. to doing the best AI and machine learning work in the industry, uh, you know, at the, at the very highest level, something that Apple, you know, clearly was, did not have the reputation for. No, it's like their silicon ago. team now. It's like, we want the best, go do right. it. So that's, you know, on my list as we ping pong back and forth between, I mean, I haven't seen any leaks about Siri. I think there stuff. was one, I think Rambo had one about them finally doing media, which hmm. is super great because I want to just be able to say uh, Overcast or Audible or yeah. um, you know any of the audio programs, yeah, uh, and just have it work. Yeah, that would be a big one for me. Like if I could tell, if I could command Overcast to play the newest episode of you know insert name of podcast here, that would be fantastic. Get Spotify off their backs, make Netflix happy. Yeah, but, well, and you know, I, I really am in the habit i mean now it's nice weather it's may it, it, so it's not too big an issue but going through winter like to me that's the the single biggest game changer about airpods in general is winter on it, it when you have bad weather yeah and being able to actually do stuff <laughs> without touching anything just by saying uh hey dingus into the you know especially with the new airpods where they have the yeah no, yeah no tap hey dingus uh it's just it was just truly game changing in terms of my interaction with the phone and and podcasts and stuff like that while i'm wearing a winter coat and gloves and do not want to take my gloves off and do not want yeah. to take my phone out 
with numb fingers and risk dropping it, etc. I think the only thing he said that was complicated was how do you get the catalogs in? Because like the Spotify catalog is right. different than the iTunes one. The Netflix catalog is different than the iTunes one. How do you get it to understand or how do the developers or the content providers get it to understand when you're saying words and when you're asking for titles of media that maybe the system has never heard before? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, I would like to see that. Yeah. What else? What else is on the rumor list? I'm, I'm, like I told you, I don't have notes. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the other thing is that, uh, well, we're, we're going to talk about the Mac after, but there's just a, the, they're going to continue with the refinements and making it work better on older devices, which seems key to both, you know, Apple's. It drives the analysts nuts because they, they actually want Apple to make devices age out faster. Right. Uh, you know, but they have this commitment to having devices last for a good four or five years and keeping the system up to date for a good four or five years. Um, which I think it's not, you know, it's not necessarily noble because it benefits them by having customer loyalty go up. Uh, but I think it's great in this age where a lot of devices are almost disposable a year after you buy them. Yeah, and it's good to hear that that was not just a one-year 2018 yes. effort. And and by all accounts, it when it shipped, when iOS 12 shipped in September, I think uh, Andrew Cunningham at Ars Technica did like the most in-depth testing of like okay let's see they said this would run better on old hardware here let's test it on like an iphone 5s or something like that and lo and behold uh it it was faster than ios 11 and battery life was better and it didn't feel unusable as some ios updates did in years past on old hardware so it's good to know that that seems seemingly according to rumor is more of a long-term strategic uh change not just a one-off okay, let's clean up some stuff that doesn't run well on old hardware one time. I just wonder how they're going to do it because last year they literally took like people that we know who were the lead engineers on major projects and said, hey, spend half a year making this better. And doing that every year will really significantly slow down the amount of new features. So I wonder if they've developed a better system where this stuff gets handed over to a maintenance team that just keeps it going while the, new, while the other team goes and keeps making the new features. Well, I know you know this story because you have had uh, Don Melton on yes. debug yeah, interview shows. Now, now Don Melton uh, had been at Mozilla, a long story short, had been at Mozilla, had been all around the industry, but he had browser experience, was hired early on to lead the WebKit Safari team. And I think it was Don's idea, wasn't it? Or maybe not, but he was certainly instrumental in it. But zero regression, where the, the WebKit team had this policy. I don't know if they still do. They might, because it certainly doesn't seem like WebKit regresses. But at least in the early years, they had a policy that if you were an engineer on the WebKit team and you were working on a feature, you couldn't check that feature into the main WebKit source code and say, okay, I'm done. I'm checking this in. Now, next time everybody does a build, there's you know my feature is in there. Unless all of the tests were as fast or faster than before you yeah. checked in. So you could not check anything into the code base that made Safari or WebKit slower in any way. Uh, and you think, well, that's a great idea. Doesn't everybody do that? And it's like, the truth <laughs> is, an awful lot of engineering is done with, uh, you know, in the comments, to do, yeah, <laughs> you know, to do, fix this, this algorithm is slow. And, a lot of technical debt. Yeah, and it just adds up, you know, you, you put something in there and you, you have the best of intentions that I know that this is slow. I know part, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. Uh, like syncing bookmarks between, you know, from iCloud. But for whatever reason, the way that this thing I checked in, it's slow. 
I'll fix it later. Well, one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden it's like, well, we've yeah. <laughs> we've got to ship on Friday. Well, there's there it is. Your slow algorithm is in the shipping code. So that was a. I, I always love that story. I think it really really helped Safari take off the way it did immediately. Um, and I think it kept the WebKit code base in great shape. So maybe something more like that for everything where you really do have to, uh, like new features and new apps and stuff like that really do have to be tested on the, what's the slowest hardware we're going to support with this and make sure that it's usable. Yeah, no, that'd be awesome. I mean, they had a performance team for years and they, part of that, they would carry older devices, but there's nothing like it being your primary <laughs> focus that yeah. really hones it in i do think you're and i think you're right i mean they're explicit about it like the analysts in their disdain their disdain for apple's <laughs> the longevity of iphones like they really 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 want people to buy new iphones every two years yeah uh, and as time goes on i think that 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 period is clearly expanding people are using iphones longer and longer because they're better, you know, they're, they're more durable. The cameras are, are so good, even on a three or four year old iPhone. Yeah. I see the difference. You see the difference. We test each one that comes out. We see, I see the difference and I'm a little, you know, we're both a bit of photo enthusiasts. So we still see how even the iPhone 10 S camera is still chasing the optical quality of it, yeah. of a true, like, you know, like SL DSLR or yeah. mirrorless camera system um so we're enthusiastic for even incremental year-over-year changes but it for normal people it really is it's it's absolutely no surprise that their three-year-old or four-year-old iphone is good enough because the pictures are actually still pretty good and better than what they these same people were taking 10 years ago when they had like a dedicated point and shoot (laughs) yeah no because the camera does so much of the work for them when you have a point and shoot most people didn't spend the time to actually learn how every button worked on those cameras and the autofocus and auto white balance and all of the image signal processors, all of that stuff now is way better than what DSLRs or point and shoot cameras have. Yeah. One thing I have a Fuji, I don't think I talked about this. I have a Fuji X 100 S and the Fuji X 100 line. You can Google it. There, there, there was the Fuji X 100. Then the second one was the S, which is the one I have. I think it's like, I think it's at least five years old at this point. Then there was the T and now there's another one. It's a nice little camera from Fuji, not pocket size, a little bit like just the one step up from what you could fit in a pocket. It has a fixed lens, doesn't have removable lenses. It has a, a fixed 28 millimeter equivalent lens. I like it a lot. It takes great pictures. I've taken a, a I, but every year I take let fewer and fewer pictures yeah. of things other than iPhones. But the one thing I had it at a family gathering a couple months ago, I thought, let me take the, the, the real camera. And the thing that really sh- struck me after having maybe not used it in months, maybe six months was how long it took to go from one photo to the next. Like I'd snap the shutter yeah, and then I would see the the preview of the image I took and it was so slow compared to an iPhone in terms of how you can just go tap, 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 tap and take the shot. It's almost shocking how instantaneous it literally, I don't know how else to describe it as instantaneous. And I, it's, it's completely spoiled me for uh, hardware cameras. And I'm sure that if I got a brand new Fuji, it would be faster than my five year old one. Um, but I don't, I don't think the camera companies can compete with Apple on the digital signal processing. 
Yeah, that's the one thing that, uh, I, long story short, I usually buy the Google Pixel every year, but my order got screwed up with the 3, and then the wait period got long, and then I forgot about it afterwards, and then they announced the Pixel 3a, and I wanted to get it, but then... The, pro- the camera is still great, but the processor is slower. Right. And I always found like the Pixel, because it does post-processing for a lot of its um, AI, for a lot of its image effects, like the computational photography, it's almost all post-processed. And it added, that, I don't even like to spend time making coffee, so I, I don't want to wait for a photo. And it just it's a little bit slower, and that sort of pushed me back towards, like, I want the best camera and the best processor I possibly yeah. can get in any phone that I get. Yeah. Um. But anyway, you know, and the, the other advantage of Apple's commitment to keeping the new versions of iOS running smoothly on older hardware is if it runs smoothly on older hardware, it's going to run like butter on the yeah. new hardware. And yeah. and so everybody benefits. It's not wasted effort. You know, if you're if you're always if you're like in the iPhone upgrade program and you've always got the newest one, it's not like Apple isn't helping you as well. You know, efficient code is efficient for everybody. It's also good because they keep pushing the the constraints of computing down. Like you had the Mac, and then you had to fit all that into an iPhone. Then you had the iPhone, they had to fit all that into a watch. And now they're trying to fit a lot of computing into an AirPod. You know, and eventually, who knows what'll be next? But the the better the stuff all runs, the better it runs on glasses one day or in some embedded yeah. architecture. Yeah. Eventually, I think it's a good example. I think analyst obsession with the the upgrade cycle and wanting it to be short is is an interesting case of a phenomenon that I think is is often overlooked, which is that in an ongoing development, like like a computer platform like iOS, or just like an application, you know, like a text editor that is been around for a long time, yeah. or, or it, it matters where you start. The starting point matters, even as it evolves. And it might become more complex, it might become more popular, it might do things you never imagined before. Um, but it matters where you start. And I think yeah. that like with the PC, the PC in the 80s, when it first became a phenomenon, whether it was Mac, Intel, Windows, the DOS version, whatever, they were very expensive. You know, Macs were two, $3,000 to start. You easily could run you four or $5,000. PCs were thousands of dollars. Laptops, when they were new, were so expensive, $4,500, $5,000 for just like a stock, like lower end laptop, because it was just so hard to, to put a working functional PC into that portable form factor. And so people's, including analysts, their, their, their concept of what a PC is, is like, this is an investment. This is sort of along the spectrum of buying like a major appliance, like a refrigerator or a car even. Um, and never really had the idea that, you know, and then as the PC, as PC hardware got cheaper and cheaper, and now you can buy, you know, you can buy Chromebooks for $150 and stuff like that. And they kind of could be conceived of as disposable. People don't look at it that way. Whereas (laughs) Whereas <laughs> cell phones evolved out of these things that, it, you know, you'd, you'd go to your carrier and spend $20 and get a new Nokia candy bar phone, you know, like two years later when your contract was up again, you might as well get a new phone because they were affected. They just give you one. They would just give you a new phone when you renewed your contract and you'd get maybe you'd go from a black and white screen to a color screen for playing the snake game. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And I feel like no, their concept, absolutely. their concept is even though f- especially Apple's iPhones, but high-end Android phones, you know, are $700, $800 or more. Yeah. Uh, 
they still haven't really shaken, I think, at the at that Wall Street level, the idea that that phones are disposable things that should be replaced every two years. And ironically, people, you know, still think that companies make their phones artificially slow to afford you to upgrade, right. even when they're spending billions on silicon and engineering resources to make sure you can keep it for four or five years. Right. <laughs> the people who wrote those theories, they did when when iOS twelve came out and actually did run faster, you didn't see yeah. you didn't see many apologies or corrections no. to those. Stories. And it was obvious even in the first beta. Right. Uh yeah, that was always a good one. I always said, like, can you even imagine? I always, I always like to imagine, you know, Jane Engineer who works at Apple. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, here's the idea: we we need you to work on uh, a search for mail, and what we want you to do is make it run really bad on on old hardware. <laughs> So that'll get people to buy a new phone. Like, can you imagine telling an engineer at Apple that that's you? We want you to make this run badly. It's yeah. it's ridiculous when you think about it. I mean, it's like a lot of conspiracy theories when you really kind of uh, skip over the yada 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 parts and fill it in with what would actually have to happen. It it completely falls apart. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, maybe I should take a break. Let's take a break, and I'll thank I'll thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Linode. I pronounced it Linode the first time they sponsored because that's what it looks like, L-I-N-O-D-E. But of course it's pronounced Linode because it's Lin as in Linux. Guess what? They've got a brand new data center in Toronto, Canada. That's a great city. Uh, playing in the NBA Finals this week, the Toronto Raptors against the uh, Golden State Warriors. Yeah. So uh, Linode has a data center up there in Toronto on their next generation network backbone and it allows users to comply. This is important, not just about being close for uh, ping times and stuff like that, but it allows uh, Canadian users to comply with in-country data protection requirements while taking advantage of all Linode's technology and tools. You don't think about that. A lot of us don't think about that. Like I could put Daring Fireball on a server anywhere. A lot of people are in a lot of industries. You might have to comply with something where the data has to be in-country. That's why Linode is expanding all around the world now in Toronto. It's a great company. I think it's the best hosting company in the world. Their, price, their service is great. The, the actual servers you get are super fast, super configurable. They've got everything. The dedicated CPU. If you need it, you don't want to just share a server or have it running it as a virtual machine type thing. You want a dedicated CPU, you could do it. You want SSD service, SSD storage? Of course you do. Well, guess what? All of it is native SSD storage. They've got a 40 gigabyte gigabit network and industry-leading processors, 10 worldwide data centers for you to choose from. They're opening their next one. The next one they're opening is in Mumbai, India by the end of 2019. Talk about being all the way around the world. And you pay for what you use with hourly billing across all plans and add-on services. It's just a great, great, great service, great company. I'm a customer. I, I would tell people to use it even if they weren't a sponsor. That's how, that's how strongly I feel about it. They have a new API, the version four API, RESTful API. So if you're a developer and you want to write your own code to control your server, you can do it. They have an officially supported Python command line interface, which is one of the best scripting languages. And I know a lot of system administrators in particular love Python. Also, they're hiring. So if you're a system administrator type or somebody who works in that basic field and you want to look at what they've got, go to linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash careers. 
But if you're looking for a career, you probably already knew how to spell their name. Um, but go there. Go to linode.com slash careers. See what they're hiring. And they've got a fantastic deal for listeners of this show. $20 credit when you use the promo code TALKSHOW2019. TALKSHOW2019. Here's the URL to go to, linode.com slash the talk show. And remember that promo code, TALKSHOW2019. They've got plans that are just five bucks a month. You can go four months just on that promo code alone. Unbelievable deal. Great, great company, great service. My thanks to Linode for sponsoring the show. Uh, what else is on the on the agenda for iOS 13. I mean, something near and dear to us. And I think you got the Photoshop briefing, I think, last year too, right? Photoshop for iOS. Yes. And they start talking about how they're going to do fonts on iOS because they don't exist and we'll have yes. to use Creative Cloud font. Well, it sounds like we're finally getting, I'm going to use finally for that because I think, it, you know, 12 years in, finally getting fonts on iOS. I, I've said this before. I think I wrote this on Daring Fireball. If you would have told me in 19... 19- 90, anytime in the 1990s when I was really doing a lot of desktop publishing work, um, that in the 2010s, Apple would have an all-new platform, a new platform, not the Mac. And you could say, but don't worry, the Mac is still there. It's doing well. I'd be so relieved. I'd be happy. I'd be un- unsurprised that they had a new platform because, like I said, back then – New platforms came every couple of years, right? And you'd think, I never thought the Mac would be the platform for everybody forever. Um, would have been totally unsurprised. They would say it has great graphical interface, beautiful touch screen. Everything's on touch. I would have thought, well, that's believable. It's futuristic. That sounds right. Uh, and then if you would have told me that 11 years into the platform's existence, you still couldn't install your own fonts, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't have believed you. Yep. This is Apple. I would say you're saying this is Apple. The company that invented typo- like basically invented desktop typography. Right, and made it uh, as it literally as easy as as possible to install fonts. You know, there was back in the old old days there was you had to, to install fonts, you had to use a Do you remember this or were you not using a Mac at the time? Font/DA yeah, yeah. DA mover. Um because the fonts weren't really files. There was no like fonts folder and you just drug font files into that folder and then they appeared that you, they were like resources, like res edit level resources. So you used font DA mover and it would move the font resources into like a suitcase file somewhere. It was not a great user experience. It was often the butt of jokes like in Macworld magazine. And then I think it was I think it was System 7. Maybe it was System 6 where they invented the, you know, just gave you a folder and just said, here, just drag your font files in this folder, and that's it. You don't have to restart or anything. They'll just appear in all your apps. There you go. And then, in you know, with Mac OS X, they made it even easier. You could just double-click fonts. They'd open in the Fontbook app, and then there'd be a button that would just say install. And you didn't even have to go find the font folder. <laughs> it would just you just double-click them, hit install, and there they are everywhere. So yes, I I give this a, a not just a finally but an italicized finally, <laughs> right? Yeah, f and finally. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I'm just so curious as to how it's going to be implemented. Like, because is there going to be a centralized repository for fonts the way there is for photographs and files? And how will they access them? How will they install them? Can anyone provide them? It's, I have so many questions. I do wonder. I wonder what the holdup was. I, like. I've I've long wondered if part of it is security. Um, 
because there have been effectively modern fonts, the you know true type and open type yeah. fonts are effectively software programs. I mean that's uh, it's a fascinating language, PostScript, but PostScript really is a programming language. I had a professor at Drexel back in the nineties who, uh, who he, I think he wrote his PhD on PostScript and just wrote like a lot as part of his you know paper. It was actually a really good read, but it was just a lot of handwritten. Postscript to make really cool vector art. Yeah. So fonts really are software. And there have been security exploits and vulnerabilities over the years where certain corrupt fonts or being able to install a certain corrupt font could lead to problems. And I always wondered if that was part of it, that they, you know, that iOS's uh, exceedingly high priority placed on security uh, was one of the reasons. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Again, it seems like something that Apple would be all over and certainly earlier on in the cycle than this one. But it, it reminds me of that story, you know, Ken Kashinda says where he was busy getting the keyboard done. It was so hard to get the keyboard done that even though he was supposed to get or he wanted to get copy paste done, he just couldn't do it for the launch of the original iPhone. And then he planned to do it for version two, but then they had to do the app store and doing everything for that meant that there was just absolutely no time to implement copy paste. So by the time iOS 3 came around, you know, finally he could do it. But it seems like, uh, you know, 12 years, there must have been a nook or cranny somewhere they could have put font support. Right. I Like I said, it's it's the fact that we're in year 11 that really makes it seem, it, it makes it feel in, incredible. That like intentional, still there. yeah. You know, the delay for copy and paste was a little weird, but not shocking. Uh, it didn't seem obvious how to do it. Well, especially because Apple has like one person working on right. this stuff. You know, I feel like they stretched it as long as they could, but then they were like, "We got to do, we got to do copy yeah. and paste. Let's figure this out. We'll get it in there for iOS three or four, or whatever it was." Um, yeah, the fonts thing, crazy, and it's just you know, and they 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 tell you things like you you they want you to be able to say, "Hey, my main computer is my iPad," right? Yeah, and, you, and they've got pages and pages as of a couple years ago is feature equivalent with the Mac version. They use the same yeah. file format, but like. Same you know, engine, everything. In a lot of professional contexts, you're supposed to use a certain font, you know, like your company font for letters that go out and stuff yep. like that. Like, it, you know, whereas with iOS, it, you know, <laughs> I, there are ways to have fonts and apps, specific apps can embed their own fonts, you know, uh, all sorts of apps embed a custom font to give, you know, to have like a, a non-system look and feel to the interface. But just the good old fashioned, hey, our company uses Adobe Garamond as the company font. So everybody, we have a site license. Everybody has a licensed version. You install Adobe Garamond on your computers and your devices. And then, you know, there you go. That's what you use. <laughs> you can't do that. So anyway, I'm very excited about that too. I hope it gets keynote time. I hope it's not just like something that gets thrown in because I, I love fonts. Well, it's always like it, there's this challenge on if a feature has been so long in coming, do you announce it and everybody says, yay, we have it? Or do you announce it and it's so awkward that it yeah. took so long that you just put it in a little word on that slide that they showed yeah. at the very end? Hopefully if they have like maybe if they have like the equivalent of the font book app and there's an app and, it, and it's a nice interface and they can show it off and it's, yeah, you know, if it's a really nice implementation and a nice way of managing it, uh, I could see it being worth, you know keynote time and just act as though it's completely normal that it took 11 years to get there <laughs> can i tell uh, you can i make an aside here i want to make an aside yeah. this popped into my head i don't know if you're familiar with this but uh one of the techniques that the ad industry 
on the web has used to track people is fingerprinting the fonts that you have available. And this sounds crazy, but it actually makes sense. So let's say, so JavaScript can like query what fonts are available in this browser. And so for example, if you have a brand new factory fresh MacBook and I have a brand new factory fresh MacBook, the JavaScript is going to see the same list of fonts, the ones that come with the system. But let's say I've set mine up and I've put the fonts that I own, my third-party fonts, on my machine. It's a very high chance that if I have any third-party fonts at all, that my exact list of fonts is, if not unique, close to unique, and therefore could be used so that, you know, if I'm on uh, site website A and this company's tracker says, okay, here's a list of... 37 non-system fonts on this computer. And then I go to site B and they see the same list of 37 fonts. They could make the connection and say, this is probably the same guy on the same computer. And they, it, it's not theoretical. This, there's actual ad tech out there yeah. that, that does this. So, so WebKit, I don't know, I'll conflate WebKit and Safari. I think it's a WebKit change, but what's the difference? The web, Apple's Safari team made a change to, to, get a, to, to keep sites from being able to do this um, Safari no longer sees any fonts other than the ones that are in system library fonts or maybe slash library fonts, but effectively the ones that come from the factory. Are you with me so far? Yeah, the fingerprinting, the, the no more fingerprinting stuff is brilliant. Right. Well, the fingerprinting, I think it's worth it, but there's a downside yeah. to it. So uh, like let's say, and I know most people with websites today most websites that use custom fonts use web fonts and they have the web font as a server side thing that the client downloads and you can see it. And that all still works and isn't changed because it isn't changing the fonts installed on your system. But it, there's some repercussions to this. So at Daring Fireball still, although these many years later, <laughs> the, CES, the CSS is set to display the body text in a font called Verdana, which has been a web font that... Uh, yeah. Uh, What's his name? Chris Carter? Matthew Carter. Matthew Carter. Oh, can't believe I said Chris Carter. Chris Carter's the uh, X-Files guy. Right? X-Files guy. Uh, Matthew Carter, type designer extraordinaire, one of the great type designers of the, of, of the modern era, designed this font for Microsoft in the 90s. They distributed it. To, they gave it to Apple. It became a new standard web font. It's one of the fonts that you know, everybody can assume to use. Uh, is a system font. If you have think that I might have subtly changed, subtly changed the font on Daring Fireball in recent months. I have not. I haven't changed anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. um, but what happens is, if you have Microsoft Office installed, Microsoft installs a, I don't know why, but they install their own version of Verdana locally in your user fonts folder. I don't know if it's got additional glyphs, if it's newer than the one that Apple has. I really don't know why Microsoft does this, but they put Verdana, they put another copy of, so there's still the system version of Verdana in the system fonts folder, but your user, your personal user fonts folder now has a new copy of Verdana. Because Safari sees that, 
it actually safari sees that you have a local version of verdana this anti-fingerprinting technology means that it won't render verdana period oh no and i think uh, i'm not quite even sure what it uses if it falls back to helvetica i guess it falls back to whatever is next in my css like as a fallback yeah it's probably like just generic sans serif i actually don't even remember which is probably helvetica um so anyway, if you think Daring Fireball has started looking a little funny in recent months, the way to fix it is to disable your, you know, either throw it in the trash or disable it in Fontbook, the local version of Verdana in your user fonts folder. Wow. <laughs> it the, the other side, I don't know how long that aside took me to relay on this podcast, but it, it took me a lot longer to figure out what the hell was going on when people first started sending me screenshots that clearly did not look right. And I actually spent a lot of time researching this. <laughs> it's amazing. It wouldn't just pull the... The system font rather yeah, than giving I, you a different font. What I, yeah, maybe what I should do is file a radar and reach out to maybe some of the people I know on the WebKit team and see if yeah. they're, they're even aware of this because it might be an edge case they didn't consider where there is a system font you know that, that they're no longer – so it may, maybe it should be considered a bug in Safari. You know none of those nerds have Microsoft Office installed on No, their there's no way. That's the thing. There's nobody, <laughs> nobody working on the uh, – the, uh, on the WebKit probably has Office installed. The other thing, too, is every single person who's pinged me either by email or on Twitter and said, hey, did you change the font on Daring Firewall? Once I figured it out, every single time I say, I'll bet you had you have Microsoft Office installed. And every time yeah. they say, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, I fill in my text expander snippet with the, the explanation. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, where were we? <laughs> Uh, the, the new, I guess the new home screen and then all the iPad specific stuff like multi window and, uh, yeah, the back, the undo gesture and, uh, that, that sort of stuff is so interesting. That's an interesting one. So there've been rumors for a long time. What we can, well, let's save the iPad for the second half of this, Okay. but there've been rumors for a while that Apple was going to redo quote unquote springboard. That's the actual, nobody yeah. really, it, it's not user Users aren't supposed to know that, but ever since the original iPhone, the home screen app is an app is in fact technically an app called Springboard, and Springboard has all sorts of other duties. In the early years, had all sorts of crazy duties. Um, like if you brought down Springboard, it effectively brought down the whole yeah. o OS, or at least the user space part of the OS. And in large part, Springboard is, is one of the least changed. At least the, the home screen experience of Springboard has yeah. not changed much from iOS 2. I mean, iOS 1 was maybe a little bit different because like, there were no third-party apps, so there was no way to page through multiple. I forget when. Like, I think the biggest thing they did was break backboard and frontboard into mm. different entities at some point, but nothing huge. Yeah. So, you know, is Apple ever going to radically change the home screen? I mean, there's certain things that... I, I find managing a bunch of apps to be incredibly tedious on yeah. on the iPhone. I, I just move, and I know that you can do things with multi-touch now, where you can put them in jiggle mode, and as you're dragging an app with one finger, you can tap on other apps to add them as a multiple app selection, and then just drag that collection across home screens. But but who's sober enough to have that level of manual dexterity? Well, not me. <laughs> 
it's just very fiddly and especially on the iPhone it's just really gets complicated to use two hands there just isn't enough screen yeah you know it's something that works a little better on iPad with a big screen is there a major springboard update I don't know I mean there have been rumors and and the rumors sort of suggested that it might have come out last year and that since it didn't that meant it would come out this year yeah but if so that's something that hasn't really leaked and what does that mean? Like, does that mean they're going to change the visual display of the interface or they're just uh, refactoring the way that it works and splitting it into more components and making it more flexible? Because they've refactored a few times and you wouldn't notice the difference if they didn't tell you about it. What do you what do you think about the way that like the iPhone rules have always been iOS rules have always been that apps fill in from the top left on a screen? So if you let's say you only have two screens on your iPhone and you have a new app and you want to drag it to the third screen, you want to create a new third screen of apps, that first app you drag is going to be top left and that's that's where it's going to be and there you have no choice. Like you yeah. can't you can't arbitrarily position them the way that you can on the Mac desktop to make to make the most obvious comparison. Like you drag a folder on the Mac desktop, it goes it you, you let go of it, it stays where it is. Yeah, I mean, the grass is always greener. And when you have a system where you can't spend time customizing it, all you want to do is customize it. And then when you have a system that's highly customizable, you just wish that you didn't have to waste all this time customizing it. And that's sort of the back and forth that goes on in each human soul. But <laughs> there's, there's so many things that you, you can do here. Like and it feels to me like the minus one home screen when you swipe over and you get the the whole widget display and... Siri suggested is sort of like Apple experimenting with different possible interface ideas. And they've just never felt like what they had there was enough that they could pull the trigger and make that the default home screen and then have like a pages of of uh, raw icons on the side like Google has the, the yeah. app tray in Android. But there's this is so weird for me because there's absolutely an advantage to muscle memory where I know exactly where an app is. I don't have to think about it. I just tap it. There's object permanency, all of those things. But we've also seen where, you know, there's different times and places where I do want other apps to be more accessible and they might pop up there because of my behavior, my location, the time of day, all these different uh signals but then maybe i just want that app that i think is the top left corner and some people want widgets on the screen even though i think years ago htc has said like nobody uses widgets nobody changes the default widgets we put on the screen and the home screen was always meant to be a gateway to apps and not a destination where you're supposed to just park and and look around for a while so it 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 feels like it needs to change but i'm not sure what would be a change in the right direction yeah i wonder too uh and you know, I don't know. It's something. It's just something I'm filing away in my back pocket, and that maybe there's a clever team at Apple that's been toiling away at years on uh, uh, some sort of seriously, radically new concept for this, or just a a better way to do the same basic thing. I mean, there's got to be especially a for way. iPad because I think Snell said this on on the talk show a while ago that if Apple had to sit down and create an iPad in a world without the iPhone, it, it would not have that interface yeah. as your as your home screen. I I completely agree with that. I really do. I, it just it just is not a good match. It really no. even from the very beginning it wasn't. It just seemed like as as impressed as I was by the original 2010 iPad, the home screen spacing always felt a little off. It was everything the GarageBand app was. The GarageBand was almost like the, the miracle of modern mobile programming, and the home screen just looked like an afterthought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so iPad is next on the same yeah. front, and that's another one where there were rumors 
uh, that not I, I you know sometimes I hear things I I've heard stuff but I would qualify it as rumblings not like oh a little birdie who knows exactly what is yeah. going on told me X Y and Z I don't know anything like that but the basic rumblings were that last year it was under consideration to have a a serious change to multitasking in the home screen on iPad uh, and it just it got yeah. cut uh, supposedly. And therefore, all those engineers had to go work on the performance enhancements yeah. and just couldn't do both at the same time. So, you know, is that coming for the iPad? Uh, I, I, this is one like with the phone, with the home screen, that's just like, oh, that would be cool if they came up with a better home screen. But I'm not frustrated by the current home screen. So if they don't, I won't be disappointed. Whereas if the iPad doesn't get uh, some serious love on this front, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think one of the rumors where we're going to get tabbed interfaces the way we have on the Mac, and then one of the more recent rumors, I forget if that was from German or not, was that it was going to have a way to swipe between different windows, and also multiple windows like Safari got a while ago. But would they be side by side, or would they be just abstract windows that you could position? And again, a lot of the stuff, you like you hear the rumor, but the actual details of implementation are much harder to sort of sort out. Yeah, and I, I have to say that like on iPad, I, I mean, I'm glad Safari has on iPad has a tabbed interface, and I don't have an idea for something better. But I don't love it because for yeah. me, as an 11 inch iPad user, the tabs are always so small, always. But it is, on the other hand, crazy that there's no system wide standard for here is how, for example, your notes app would have two notes open at the same time <laughs> like it's yeah. kind of crazy something i want all the time right uh you know <laughs> if you have a document that supports the concept of saving here's how you close it <laughs> or just like you have the picture and picture window so you can have your video floating but you can't have your notes app or your calculator yeah. or your web and i think one of the rumors from rambo was that you'll be able to pull calculator out from the multitasking interface but it won't be an actual screen it'll just be part of the, the layover, the yeah. interface. It'll never be an actual app, but it just seems like there's so much they could do there if they spent the time on it. What, you're saying for a calculator? Yeah, they're actually yeah. making a calculator app, but it won't be a, a full app. It'll just uh, work. I forget what they call it. You know, when you swipe out and it doesn't really take part of the split view, yeah. it just it's on top of the split view. It would only exist in that mode, which sounds weird, but I, know, um, I, know, I would I know, love that thing. I know exactly what they should call it. They should call it a desk accessory. Yeah, yes. Because that, for those of you who don't remember, that is, like I told, was talking about Font DA Mover. The DA in yeah. Font DA Mover was desk accessory. And in the original Macintosh, which didn't support multitasking in for the early years, it did seemingly support multitasking, where you couldn't run a word processor and a spreadsheet at the same time. But you could go up to the Apple menu, and there were as a list of desk accessories, things like the calculator, what was the one that was like a notes app? Yeah, I'm blanking on all the names. Boy, I can't believe I forgot that. And there was but one. It's whatever you'd have on your blotter on your desk at work. Yeah, and you could have like it was effectively like a permanent clipboard where you yep. could post pictures or text for like frequently accessed things, and then you'd open it up, and then you could paste paste the same you know uh, picture or your signature or something like that they ran in the memory space of the app you were running that's they were technically not individual apps but they looked like apps and the user for all the user could see they were but technically they weren't anyway that's what they could call them <laughs> so, 
I would love that. I would jump up. This is why I would, well, if I ever did go to work for Apple, I'd be fired within a day because I, <laughs> I would suggest calling it the desk accessory. But anyway, that's promoted, a good idea. But Phil would yell at you a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, no, I think all that stuff is great. It's just you're, you're dealing with a multi-touch inner. Well, there's also the rumor that we'll finally be getting mouse support, but it's going to be inside accessibility and not like you can enable it. It's just a toggle. You turn it on and you're fine. Hmm. But instead of putting it front and center or making it a default, it'll be in the accessibility settings. I think that's fine. I hadn't seen that rumor. That's actually news to me, and but music to my ears, and sounds like a great idea. I think Tichi wrote about that. I think he heard yeah. that on the. I think it's good a, iPad connections. It's a great idea. It just see, and it seems kind of crazy that like the iPad doesn't support it. I get, and I think putting it in accessibility like that is a great balance between saying, "Look, this is prime. This is for most people primarily intended to be a completely touch based system." Yeah. But you can use a, ma- uh, a mouse if you want to. For me, it's sort of like when you know Steve Jobs didn't want the arrow keys on the Mac because he didn't want pe- developers to just make classic like command line apps. He wanted to force people to use the GUI. And by the same token, there was no. I mean, there was a terrible keyboard when the iPad came out, but there was no mouse support because right. you had to embrace multi-touch. But when the iPad Pro came out, I forget what that was, 2015, and they had the smart keyboard, I think at that point you have to realize that if you're gonna if you're gonna create a mode where people can use it as a laptop alternative, it should have all the same trimmings as a laptop alternative because context switching is terrible. I think that the story was that he didn't want and the original Macintosh literally shipped with a keyboard that didn't have arrow keys. I thought it wasn't yeah. about developers but so much, although I think that was probably part of it too, but that they he didn't want users using the arrow keys for text editing either. Either. He wanted them to yeah. use the mouse. You know, he, he, it was, they were so worried, maybe rightfully so, that because the mouse was a new concept, that if there were ways not to use a mouse, people wouldn't use the mouse. Yeah, and same with multi-touch. But again, like ten years on, you can you can add some things back. Yeah, I, I, the crazy one of the crazy things about the original Macintosh compared to all the other PCs of the time is that you really did need a mouse and a keyboard, but you could get more done on the Mac. If you only had one, you'd get more done with the mouse than yeah. you would if you only had the keyboard. Like you'd be more more lost without without the mouse than you would be without yeah. a keyboard, which was insane considering that on all the other computers at the time, you had to turn it on and start typing commands to make anything happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting the way all this stuff evolves. I mean, what the, the other one is that, again, is that back gesture, or sorry, the back gesture, the undo gesture. Because and you've written about this probably more than anybody. There was just no universal way to do. Instead of shaking your phone, I don't know if you. I don't remember if you could shake the iPad or not. Because I would never do that. No, you can but definitely just, shake your iPad. Okay, I, I think just you've never wanted to, to. But pick you it up like, and shake. You just look like a nut. <laughs> like I'm having a fit. It's wow. just yeah. This makes so much more sense. I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. I know someone who worked on the shake to undo gesture. And when, when was that added? I forget. It wasn't in, was it with copy and paste? I forget. Maybe. I don't remember Steve ever doing it on stage. It would have been delightful. But it was, it was proposed as a joke because they were stuck uh, because it is a tricky problem. How do you, yeah. you know, the Mac has uh, keyboard shortcuts, which is what most people use. Everybody sort of, if you're going to learn any keyboard shortcut, shortcuts, command Z is at the top of the list. And it has a persistent system-wide menu bar for all applications. Yeah. And every app, one of the one of the most, if not the single most standardized menu mm-hmm. um, since 1984 is the edit menu. And right there at the top of every edit menu is undo 
then, you know, wasn't there originally, but now redo and then cut, copy, paste in that order. iPad doesn't have any of those things. doesn't have, you know, a keyboard that you can count on yep. for shortcuts. It doesn't have a menu bar. So what do you do? And so somebody jokingly said, well, we could do shit. We could use the accelerometer and implement shake, <laughs> shake to undo as a joke. And I, I, I think it was Forstall who was like, yes, that is it. Do it. <laughs> Ship it. <laughs> and they were like, what? And they were like, make it happen. Uh, uh, and here we are, low these many years later, and we still have yeah. shake to undo. And I mean, I get it because gestures, either you got to write these arcane spells on the screen to do things. And I remember BlackBerry 10 did that, where you had to like go up and then diagonally down and then another yeah. way to, to launch something. But there's only so many swipe from the side to do things, and they start colliding. Like even now, just like uh, force press and... Uh, or 3D touch and just putting things and long press are collided and swiping up to get uh, swiping down to get different functions. I'll often do one and get the other and you have to be precise sometimes. And it's just, it's not good. So I get minimizing that, but they should really, I think, rethink the entire gesture language. Yeah. I would like to see them do that. Uh, and I really think that the multitasking stuff really needs to be rethought. I, I don't yeah. think it's good that we're not still stuck with one app at a time, full screen on every iPad, um, and I know that there are people like Titi who, who, or, and Jason Snell and other people who are incredibly productive on the iPad and use multitasking a lot. But to me, the whole multitasking system just doesn't make sense. It really has a lot of conceptual holes in it. Like the way that yeah. like, you command tab sometimes doesn't list apps because you just drag them out of the, yeah. you just drugged it out of the dock and it's there and it's running and you can see it, but it doesn't show up in the command tab switcher. And why in the world does the iPad have a Mac style command tab switcher in the first place? You know, I, I don't get me started. I, <laughs> well, I, mean, a, it's just, I use my MacBook pro for final cut, but I use my iPad pro for almost everything else. And it's just simple things like not knowing which of the two split views I'm in. And I start yeah. typing and it's yeah. the wrong window. And yeah, which is, again is the sort of thing that is insane to me. It would have seemed insane to me in the 90s when, if anything, in the 90s, as the Mac graphical user interface evolved and went from the classic look to the, uh, what do they call it, uh, platinum look, yeah. it emphasized input focus more. You know, like in the original Mac, it was more like iOS, where if there were three text fields in an app, you really kind of had to notice which one had the blinking insertion point to know which one your typing was going to appear in. And, yeah. you know, eventually they went to the, they put these focus rings around the input that had control. So the text field that had control would have a blue, fuzzy blue, nice ring around it. And then when you hit tab to go to the next field, the indic focus indicator would move to the next field. And you had this, this, it was, I think it was, I think I would like to see a return to that sort of UI design. Yeah. It's like I, consider it, right? Right. It's not just accessible. It is accessible, but yeah. it's just considerate. It's just yeah. giving you as many cl visual clues as possible where focus is. It's absolutely insane to me that you, that we have an interface that you could have two apps open side by side and no indication of which one has input focus. That's it. right because you never <laughs> want your user to feel stupid. Like a lot of people, some people are really comfortable with computers, but a lot of people still, even now, they just don't, they feel like computers make them feel stupid or they're inaccessible or they're alienating, and you want to do everything you can to make them feel empowered. Howard and not make them think, oh, I, I don't know where I am. I'm just going to go up and get coffee. Uh, yeah. So hopefully that's on the list. I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. I think they could spend a lot of time. I think they could get a lot of applause if they have really cool stuff to show for iOS multitasking. 
Um, there's one last one that I think is really cool, and that's right. Safari um, is finally supposed to get a, dino- a download manager, but also a way to force apps to go into desktop mode because there's nothing worse than being on an iPad, going to like Reddit or something, and it loads the iPhone version of the site just because it identifies mobile Safari. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's a big one. Yeah. And it's crazy thinking back to the original iPhone and how, how and even the original iPad in 2010, yeah. how limited Safari was at the time, you know, just in terms of its ability to hold a whole web page in memory and, and yeah. stuff like that. But there's no doubt at this point that an iPad can clearly run the full version of WebKit or the desktop yeah, version. Absolutely. I shouldn't say full. I don't even want to. De- I don't want to denigrate the mobile version. It's just real uh, Safari, not full Safari. <laughs> right, and so many websites. It, it's just one of the you know to go back to that Snell thing that if the iPhone didn't yeah. exist, the iPad wouldn't be like this. If the iPhone didn't exist, these sniffers that seem to want to think that iPads are iPhones wouldn't exist. That's like a YouTube. Like there's there's just no reason for it. No, no, none at all. So yeah, that's a that's a very cool, much much rumored linked fe- yeah. you know leaked feature. Makes a lot of sense. Um, what else? What are, were there any other screenshots that linked? Uh, yeah, he had a couple on there, and it was really nice. The return of like the photorealistic tool set for markup. Oh, that's right. He had yeah, a really yeah. nicely rendered pencil and pen, and and I don't want to get my hopes up too high because I think as much as some of the photorealism went way too far like when you have sebastian yeah. drawing those yeah. uh stitched leather <laughs> sort of apps probably a road too far but then they went completely the other way and it feels like slowly maybe we're going to get some semblance of uh just again consideration back in the yeah. interface yeah some use of depth and uh it, really the one thing that jumped out at me with these tools these are the tools you get like in uh I, i'll bet you see the same or similar icons in notes when you're using the apple pencil yeah um but the on iPhone and iPad, starting with, I think, was it just iOS 12? Is this the, the screenshot annotation? Is that just a year old or two years old? I think it's iOS 11. We got yeah. Uh, yeah, the, well, the quick action. Everybody, if you take screenshots, and I think everybody takes screenshots, you know what I'm talking about, where now instead of just taking a screenshot and it just goes into your uh, photo roll, now you get the screenshot. And you see it, and you could throw it out if, right away if you don't want it, or you get some tools, you can crop it, uh, and then you can like doodle on it and stuff like that. Well, the tools are no longer completely monochrome and flat. They they have a bit of 3D texture, but mo- more importantly is to me the use of color. So like the eraser yeah. now is you know like pencil pink eraser. Um, the highlighter is actually <laughs> yellow. Uh, the, again, it seems a little crazy, but you know design like trends a coming. Fresh air. Yeah. yeah, design trends coming. He had some screenshots from the Mac, too, and there was like a return of color to the sidebar. Yes. Yeah, that's another one where I, I wrote about that recently where I'm hoping for more vibrant tap-down states across iOS. Yeah. Just as a personal wish to this, again, no little birdies have told me this. But I have noticed, and, and a couple of readers, you know, maybe maybe it's partly what inspired it, is some of Apple's own recent apps that have shipped, not ones that we're looking forward to next week at WWDC, but apps like the new TV app the updated TV app and yeah. the the updated for this year WWDC app. A lot of Apple's own apps have vibrant tap-down states on iOS instead of that, as I call it, dishwater gray. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, hopefully more stuff along those lines. I, I think it's right for the pendulum. I don't expect 
any kind of radical redesign like the way that iOS 7 was this radical strip it down to the bones and come up with something wholly new. But I really would like to see the current look and feel evolve in a more physical dimension and, and sort of bring back some depth to the interface. Yeah, like just the whimsy, the joy, the delight, like you have fun yeah. using it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said in my article the, last week, it's just it was fun just to tap items in a in a list in the original iOS. It just yeah. felt like you're lighting this whole thing up in this very cheerful color of blue, and now you tap and it just turns gray. And it's yeah. And iOS seven had some of that, like it had the physics engine where things would yeah. bounce against each other, and and that seems to have gone away as well. It just got no color and very little interaction for yeah, a while. Yeah. If anything, oh. less less physicality, right? Yeah. Um. Oh, the Find My app. That's yeah. the, uh, the other big one. That's the. This is much rumored from Guy Rambo, but that they're unifying the Find My iPhone and Find My Friends interface. Apparently, the name, at least the name that they have a screenshot of the icon for, is just called Find My, which is a little hmm, not that great a name. <laughs> no. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter last night uh, said, "Hey, I know this is heretical." But Apple has this app on the Mac with a perfect name called Finder. And what if they just rename <laughs> what if they rename the Finder files to match the files yeah. app on iOS and then reuse the Finder app for the find my thing? Uh I think they added Syracuse to get his opinion and his his one character response was the <laughs> thumbs down emoji. <laughs> and the guy was like, Good enough. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great idea. Because they are so similar. Why are they separate apps? You know, and I know a couple other podcasts have covered this, but there's, uh, you know, ATP has talked about it. But it is funny because when you're finding a person, you're really not finding the person. You're finding them by you're always finding a device. Like if I if I'm sharing my location with you and you say, where's John? It's not it doesn't magically know where I am. It knows where my the, the device I've chosen to share my location with, yes. which for most of us is our phone, where our phone is. Um, so yeah. it does make sense for them to be in one place. One device keeps track of all your stuff. The other one keeps track of the, your friend's primary thing. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a break. And they have those tags, right? It was just one more thing. Oh, that yeah. was they're eventually, but supposedly going to be selling tile-like tags yeah. uh, probably in September that you can put on, on random other objects and, yeah. and loop them in. All right. Yeah, the, I don't know if that's really coming out. Seems crazy. I don't expect to hear about it at WWDC. No, me Seems either. like a September thing yeah. with, with iPhones. But it'll be interesting if there's any clues in the OS that would that would yep. give up the ghost. All right, let me take another break here and thank our friends at Hello Pillow. H-U-L-L-O. Have you ever tried a buckwheat pillow? They are totally different than the fluffy, soft pillows that most of us are used to. It is much more similar to a bean bag. Quite heavy, really compared to a regular pillow. Uh, sounds crazy if you've never tried it, but guess what? Buckwheat pillows allow you to adjust its shape and thickness in ways that a fluffy pillow never could. Supports your head and neck how you want it to, unlike traditional squishy soft pillows, which collapse under the weight of your head. Um, if you're the sort of person who's always slept with two pillows just to get your neck propped up the way you want it, you might do just fine with one hello pillow because it'll conform to the shape you want it to and stay there. Hello pillows also stay cool and dry compared to pillows filled with feathers or foam. Uh, they keep it cool all night. The heat just gets absorbed between the buckwheat seeds in the pillow, and it tends to breathe better, really. 
Uh, so that, like they say, no more tip, no more flipping in the middle of the night to get to the cool side of the pillow. The side you're sleeping on is already cool all night long. We've had a couple of them for years. My wife sleeps on one every single night. Absolutely loves it. Misses it every single time we travel. Uh, really, really loves this pillow. And they have great reviews. Go to there and check it out at the Hello website. That's hello, hellopillow.com slash talk show. You can go there and read the reviews from customers. And it's very easy to take care of. We have one that's years old. Uh, longtime listeners of the show will probably remember that Hello has been sponsoring the show uh, for years now. And, and the one my wife sleeps on every night is years old, Seems still seems as good as new. They last really long. I can verify that firsthand. Um, it's just a great way to sleep. They make their pillows right here in the USA with quality construction and materials. You can just unzip it to add more if you want it bigger, and you can take some of the seeds out if you want it to be a little smaller. Easily adjustable. Here's the deal. You get to sleep on this pillow for 60 nights, two months almost, and if it's not for you, send it back, and they will give you all of your dough. Full refund. Go to hellopillow.com slash talk show, and if you try more than one pillow, you'll get a discount of up to 20 dollars per pillow depending on the size of the pillow you choose fast free shipping on every order and one percent of all profits at hello pillow are donated to the major nature conservancy great great charity so go to hello pillow h-u-l-l-o pillow p-i-l-l-o-w.com slash talk show anything else on the ios front no i think the rest go straight into the mac yeah let's go straight to the mac what are we expecting so the big one is Marzipan Phase yeah. Two, which uh, will hopefully correct those those few apps from Marzipan Phase One. I I've never been more nervous about something at WWDC than I am about the Marzipan thing with Mac. It's like I'm almost it's I like I don't know what order they're going to do stuff, but like I worry if they start with iOS that I'm just going to be zoned out in the audience <laughs> and not miss it all, waiting for them to please tell me that everything's going to be okay and that these marzipan apps and ui kit on the mac are going to be a great way to make great desktop applications it's amazing to see like you and a couple other people who are trepidatious about it and then people like stratton smith or dieter who just want them to go all in on marzipan immediately i uh don't get me started (laughs) (laughs) so what i've heard is that no, no, no one should judge marzipan based on what happened last year that this is a completely or at least a year more mature technology geared towards developers. It's going to have a lot more affordances to make really good Mac apps, including like things that you'd expect, like the de- like the menu bars and multiple windows and all that sort of stuff. I don't know how much it'll... I guess the worst is that they'll still look like terrible Mac apps. Uh, the middle ground is that they'll look like Mac apps, and the good ground is that maybe they'll give us uh, sort of a peek at what future Mac apps could look like. I don't know. Uh, I, I certainly hope so. I do. I, I've known for over a year that that what we've seen as Marzipan is clearly not the. I mean, Apple was pretty explicit last year when they introduced it that they're, you know, this wasn't the whole story, and that you yeah. Know, I think they dropped a giant slide that said 2019, and it made the the thud sound on the screen. Like I think that they even. I mean, everybody expects it this year since they previewed. Well, they it last said year. beta for developers, yeah. like phase two beta for developers coming twenty nineteen. Yeah, so it's it, it. If it's not announced, it would be a miss. Uh, yes, and everybody expects it. And the other thing that I've heard is that it's the the whole take an iOS app, click a checkbox or two to make a new target in Xcode, 
And now you can, in the same way that your one project can spit out little iPhone app and a big iPad Pro version, you can have a Mac version and you can create, you know, again, edit your menu bar the way you'd want to yeah. and do all sorts of things that are only Mac specific. But that's only part of the story is everything I understand that there's there's other aspects of this sort of unification of the developer story between iOS yep. and macOS, including the thing I've heard about is this declarative UI system, Yeah, which I don't want to, I'm not equipped to really go into what a declarative UI system is. And I don't want to get too much sidetracked, but suffice it to say, it's a way to specify the user interface in a way that a lot of developers, uh, some systems work newer newer GUI systems and APIs work and developers really like it and it's should be if it works well a good way to do something like have an app that literally does run on everything from 4 inch phones to 27 inch iMacs yeah, there's two things I sort of like about this. One is that from who I've heard is involved in the project I have confidence because they generally deliver really really good really flagship stuff and two that it's this is a problem Apple has to solve because they're one of the biggest developers making apps that have to work across across a, a really wide range. They're the only UI kit for watch right. developer, but they're making a lot of apps. And right now, like messages on the Mac, it still says sent with fireworks in brackets. I don't know how, like three years later. And the whole map, all that stuff is not tenable. You, you just you can't be taken seriously with that kind of stuff happening. And they, they've unified those teams and those teams have, you know, are working on unified architectures and they absolutely have for themselves have to get this solved. Yeah. And then, of course, developers benefit from that. Yeah. So uh, zooming out to the big level and not trying to nitpick specific things like oh my God, these apps have to support multiple windows. Like it's insane that you cannot just, while you're reading an article in the news app, you can't double click it to open it in a window so you can come back to it later while you continue to browse other stories. Like the fact that you can't do that is insane, but let's just skip the individual things like that and just hope that they fix it. To me, at a big level, what I want this whole thing to be, the whole story, what I want it to be is basically... We've always had great developer tools and great developer APIs and frameworks so that developers going all the way back to next and so that small team of developers or one developer can do can create an app that is it does so much more than other platforms would allow a small team to do because we have these frameworks and APIs that give you all of this stuff so that, you know. Uh, apps like Acorn and Pixelmator can stand toe to toe with Photoshop in so yeah. many, so many regards. Not every regard, I know. It's Photoshop is still Photoshop, and I'm sure we're going to hear about Photoshop for iPad <laughs> next week. But because there's these great core image and uh, all sorts of other APIs, a one developer team like Gus Mueller uh, working on Acorn, or the few developers working on Pixelmator can make apps that do these amazing things that it, it, in the classic Mac OS just wasn't feasible because it, you, yeah. you needed an Adobe sized team to get all that stuff in there. Well, the world's moved on though. Right. And, and a lot of the things that are great about AppKit are the exact same things that were great about AppKit 15, 16, 17 yeah. years ago. So my hope is that this story is we've always prided ourselves on this, but where are we going? Where's the puck going? Here's what it is. Here's our story for this is 
the future of making apps on all of our platforms. And it's a, this is a great way to make great apps. That's the story I want to hear. What I don't want to hear is here's an easy way to get your existing iPhone app running in a window on a Mac. Just click these two buttons and your iPhone app is now running on a Mac and now you've got a Mac app. Yeah, we still want apps from people who care deeply about Mac apps. Right, right. What I want is to make it, this is just great APIs and tools and techniques and ways of doing this so that whatever great Mac app you're imagining and whatever great Mac features you're imagining for your existing app, here is a way to make you, the developers, more uh, capable and more efficient and get more done sooner in a richer way to make a great experience for your users. And we've seen, we've seen over the years, like Lauren Brichter made Twee and Sean Herbert, the Icon Factory made Chameleon because this was a problem that they needed to solve. And it's, it's never been, they, they just couldn't maintain it because who can keep up with the whole UI kit team, but Apple can. Right. Yes, absolutely. Only Apple can solve this really for their platforms. Yeah. Hopefully that's the story. It would make so much sense to me if it were. And then I can imagine after it's been announced, speaking to people at Apple and they would say, I can't believe you ever doubted us. <laughs> that's what, what I want. Yeah. Right. That's what I want. I want I want them to say to me, Groobs, I can't believe you ever doubted us. Why in the world <laughs> would we just make this a dumb thing so that your your iPhone app can just be ru- just run like it is in the simulator on the the Mac, even though it's not yeah. suitable to uh, a mouse and keyboard based interface. So now, do you think people will be allowed to ship? Because it's going to be in beta, which means people may not be allowed to ship on it. But I wonder how long that will last. Like, can developers play around with it? Will they be allowed to ship Marzipan-based apps in September? Will they have to wait a year before it comes out of beta and they're allowed to ship? Yeah, I really wonder. I, I, I gen- yeah. you know, it's it's so much. It's still up in the air on that this whole front for next week. It's the number one thing I'm looking forward to next week by far. And I, I've, it might be the thing I've been looking forward to the most at a WWDC ever since, I don't know, in memory. Because even the App Store didn't ship it. It wasn't announced at WWDC, yeah. right? Remember, they held like a one-off event in February or something like that. Uh, and Swift was a complete surprise. Nobody was right. expecting that. Right. Swift was a complete surprise. Nobody was expecting it. So among things that I'm expecting at a WWDC, I, don't, I can't yeah. think of anything greater than this future of how are you going to write software for the Mac and other platforms? And will it be Mac App Store only, or can anybody use? Right. Uh, like, there's just so many questions. Right. Again. Yeah. It's, you know, are these going to be a new class of app that is only limited to yeah. the App Store? I, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not either. But we shall see. Along those lines, there's also the chance on the hardware front that we're going to find out about the Mac Pro. That yeah, we're currently waiting for. And I'm going to call this a long shot, but it's going to seem like a long shot every year until all of a sudden it happens is to get word of a transition from Intel processors to ARM in-house design by yeah. Apple processors for the Mac. 
This was not a good week. I don't know if you follow all the processes, but this is not a good week for Intel and no, uh, I CompuDeck. Saw, I saw that AMD launched seven nanometer chips. <laughs> yeah, and it, Intel's like we kind of because Intel's ten nanometer is is basically the similar to Taiwan Semiconductor manufacturing seven nanometer, and they're like we have this one, this one thing is almost ready. Don't, but uh, AMD is just clowning them on price and performance yeah. uh, to a staggering degree. Yeah. And even if uh, whatever you want to think, whatever you think about Intel's current fortunes, I just know I know firsthand firsthand that Apple has been frustrated with Intel for a while. Yeah, you know that that's they can't ship. They're not producing even the chips that they can produce. They're not producing sufficient quantities for Apple to fill orders. Yeah, you know it. It, it really is uncanny how the Steve Jobs announcement in two thousand five of yeah. the Intel transition from PowerPC how it really could translate into exactly just word for word what they would say about this transition, that it's not just about increased power, it's power per watt, meaning yeah. the size of the chip and the power that it consumes and the amount of battery life it consumes in a battery-powered device and how much performance you get out of it. it it's, everything you said about it is exactly what I think people are hoping to get out of ARM-based yeah. Macs in the future. And then the other thing that Jobs said in that great, great introduction, it's just amazing. It's just a masterpiece of Jobs' keynote. Yes. Eating, because he covers this whole thing. The, the whole, it, it, it's like six minutes. <laughs> the, the Mac as we knew it was going to be completely upended in 12, over the course of 12 months. Every bit of software yeah. you run should be updated. I mean, there was the, the Rosetta emulator, so your old apps would keep running. But they updated all the hardware, went to an entirely new architecture, and he covered the whole thing. And, and, and of course, he's t pitching this to the people who are most interested in it, developers. He covered yep. the whole thing in like six minutes. <laughs> but the one thing he says that's, I think, so true is something to the effect of we can imagine hardware products, great new hardware products yeah. that we can't build based on the chips in the PowerPC roadmap. And that's exactly that's what Apple's been running into with Intel. You know that the the MacBook Air, the modern Retina MacBook Air that we now have, Apple had that imagined, and they didn't yep. have chips from Intel to make it happen. Yeah, no, it's 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 bananas. Um, and the just look at the MacBook Pro they just shipped. Intel because they can't you know they can't improve their process, they're throwing cores at it. So you have an eight core. Intel processor now crammed into a chassis with, that was expecting fewer cores at seven nanometer or ten nanometers, right. and it, they they've done an amazing job handling the thermals. A lot of people, I think, a lot of people like they run Geekbench and think they understand thermals, but there's modern chipsets are way more complicated than that, and they've done an amazing job at getting as much performance as they can in that chassis. But boy, did they probably want way better chips in that chassis. Uh, so here's the question, though: the question is if. I, I, and I really think the if is looking like it, it, unlikely. I think it's when, when Apple announces yeah. this transition, do they do it the way they did the Intel PowerPC to Intel, which is to say by announcing it at WWDC, telling developers, saying, here's how you, here's how you can use Xcode to get your apps recompiled for the new architecture so they run natively. Here's the story of what's going to happen to old software that's been compiled for Intel. Will it, will there be some sort of emulator so that the apps will still run on ARM or not? I don't know. To explain it all and say, we're going to start shipping these machines later this year or early next year. 
and you know, with in 2005, with the Intel transition, they had the first hardware they had were the develop. They called them developer yeah. transition kits. They looked like Power Mac G5 chassis, but they just had Intel computers inside. And they didn't sell them. I think they only like leased them to developers. It was like they didn't even want you to, to sell give them. them back, and then you got yeah. an iMac or something. Right, right? you yeah. gave them back, and they gave you an I, a Intel-based iMac. But they gave them. There, there were ways for developers to get officially supported Intel-based Macs before consumers did, so they could get their apps recompiled. Would they do that the same way again? Tell developers first. Risk people st- stop buying existing Mac hardware, waiting for these things to appear. Or is this the sort of thing where Apple is in a different position today than they were in 2005 and they can just wait till the machines are ready, announce them, and then say, developers, you're already late. Or do you say, like, we plug your iPad into your Mac over this USB-C cable, Xcode takes over, and you test on the iPad. Right. I, I still think it's the sort of thing they might do the same way they did the last time and tell us in advance before the Mac hardware ships with these chips. Um, but I don't know. I could see Apple doing it a very different way and waiting until they have them and say there's, you know, even with, but, but that would mean shipping them with no developer, uh, no native apps for it. I mean, I guess there's some chance that, uh, the marzipan apps will run great. Right. I guess. Right. <laughs> you know, that marzipan apps would be able to be, um, what's that technology? The, uh, the thing where they can change the, the, interim representation oh, yeah, the bit, yeah oh not bitcoin bit something. <laughs> no. uh, oh god i'm blanking on it too bitcode yeah bitcode i think i don't know but it, whatever that maybe they could do it on the app store end and have native arm apps spit out from things that were originally compiled for intel i don't know well they did the 64-bit transition on the watch i think entirely on the app store end exactly they did that was very true uh and yeah. very impressive at a technical level. One thing I wonder, though, is like, are we at a point now where uh, most of Apple's um, Macs use mobile processors? So you could see them transitioning those. But for example, to the Xeon, the iMac Pro and conceivably the Mac Pro, do those get transitioned at the same time or do those require something different, like massive right. amounts of cores because the ARM chips only go to a certain level? And they, if you want Xeon-like performance, maybe you need 32 instead of yeah. 18 arm cores until they wait it's just it's interesting to me now right yeah that's very very interesting right that you know and uh, how do they do this like presumably the the mac pro that we're hoping to see announced next week is going to be intel based uh i know some but people is it modular so the brain can be swapped out for an arm brain later but how do you say <laughs> like here's a red the, camera here's this <laughs> new uh eight thousand dollar workstation that we've been working on for three years and you've been waiting on for five, six years, some of you, uh, based on Intel chips. And by the way, we're moving away from Intel. <laughs> like, yeah. it's a weird combination. Uh, or now they have these Intel machines with ARM coprocessors. Will the big ARM, will the big machines go ARM with an Intel coprocessor for a couple of years? Right. It's like the whole... Uh, there's a lot of different ways they could do it. Yeah. And nobody on the outside seems to know which way they're going. Uh, so again, it's very exciting as a... Uh, watcher of the company uh, somebody who yeah. will have his butt in the audience <laughs> that we don't know we don't know what the hell they're doing uh we really don't i do think do you think i i do think we'll get a preview at least of the mac pro i i, I yeah i think somebody would have waved somebody off at this point yeah to not expect it because some years you hear like like i remember a couple of years ago it's like yeah there's not gonna be any display this year and you're like ah yeah. so or, uh, or they'll just say no hardware 
Like they won't yes. tell you yeah, what exactly. new hardware. They'll just say this is going to be the, uh, this year's dub. You know, they, and and like I wrote when the when the uh, I think I wrote when the uh, the updated uh, MacBook Pros came out two weeks ago that that would have been, and they did have phone briefings with a bunch of us, a whole bunch of people in the yeah. press to talk about uh, the keyboard tweak and stuff like that. That would have been a perfect time to say, we're announcing this now. We're telling you about it now yeah. because WWDC is going to be all about software. And they've done that many years. Yes. They have that. Right. Yeah. They won't even say, even in an off the record phone call, they won't say there's no hardware. They'll say that yes. it's going to be all software. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you you could say, well, does that mean no hardware? And they'll say, it's going to be all software. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good way to set expectations because people, right. WWDC is the most challenging show for them because you know the September event, you're getting iPhones and watches and people love the toys. But WWDC, it's a developer conference, but that first keynote has a massive mainstream audience right. that's watching it over streaming. And they've been conditioned to some years, like 2017, there was iPads, there were Macs, there were iMacs, there was an iMac Pro introduction, just a massive amount of new toys. So they have to be real careful with expectation management. Yeah, totally. So I think that we would have. I think if there weren't going to be a preview, at least, of the Mac Pro, I mean, it'd be terrific if they can actually say, and it goes on sale at the end of the month or something like that. Yeah. that would, you know, people will be uh, just running up and down the aisles in joy if that happens. But you know, it's going to be like December 31st before 12 p.m. <laughs> right. <laughs> it'll, I think it'll be late, late to, you know, later in the year, <laughs> yeah. probably. But I do think that they could show it, which is what they did with the, the current Mac Pro, a.k.a. Yeah. the trash can. You know, that was the yeah. infamous... Uh, can't innovate anymore my ass introduction by phil schiller and even the imac pro when turnus announced it they yeah. had them in the demo area we weren't allowed to touch them. no don't touch it oh, <laughs> everybody wanted to touch the keyboard just the keyboard yeah. everybody wanted it was space gray it was yeah. amazing. and there was like a, a, a security person there saying don't yeah. don't touch nope. the imac pro <laughs> no no touch i just yeah. saw dalrymple staring at him for about five minutes right and the <laughs> the reason it seems like such an all i dare say no brainer to show a preview of it is it's not like they're going to hurt existing sales of the mac pro because almost yes. <laughs> nobody's buying a mac pro now and hasn't been for a while unless they re and you know they have one in a production workflow and it breaks and they just you know well sucks to be me i gotta buy a new yeah. mac pro uh, the three guys who need those massively parallel GPUs. Right. They're they're not going to hurt the sale of a product that, you know, isn't selling yeah, well. Yeah, there's no Osborne effect. Right. They're, whereas the chance for an Osborne effect on MacBook sales across the yeah. lineup is dramatic if they say yeah. uh, early 2020, they're going to be based on our a a series chips or whatever yeah. they're going to call the ones for the Mac. And or I don't gonna, know, maybe people will be afraid and they'll go stockpile a bunch of Intel ones in the freezer. Well, maybe, but I doubt it. <laughs> uh, let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor, LinkedIn. Look, the right hire can make a huge impact on your business. You know, you, you need the right employees. You, you're important. You're not just filling, you're not just hiring uh, warm butts to fill seats. You need good people. That's why it's so important to be able to find the right person. Where do you find that individual? You can post a job on job board and hope the right person finds your job, but think about it. How often do you hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job to a place where people go every day to make professional connections, to grow their career and discover job opportunities. LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but nine out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. 
With 70% of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people, people who are qualified for your role and ready for a new position, ready for a new job, ready to boost their career. It's the best way to find the person who's going to help you grow your business, your company. They make a new hire. A new hire is made on LinkedIn every 10 seconds. It's amazing. Hurry up. Go to linkedin.com slash talk, just T-A-L-K, and you get 50 bucks off your first job listing. That's linkedin.com slash talk, and you just by using that code, you save 50 bucks on your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. And I'll just reiterate that URL, linkedin.com slash talk, T-A-L-K. Uh, all right. I'm trying to think what else we got. Uh, I mean, platforms. the rest of the Mac stuff is just catch up. Like it's just screen time for Mac, series shortcuts for Mac, family sharing for Mac, yeah. file providers for Mac, I'm, um, I'm external in, display stuff. I'm intrigued by shortcuts for Mac, you know, and, and it's the Mac automation story is kind of weird because, yeah. you know, people like me who've used Apple script for years and, you know, we saw Sal. So I had leave the company yeah. and that the, the automation group is maybe busted up, maybe is no more. But, you know, Apple Script's still there. Automator's still there. Uh, I think Apple, in some regards, has always taken seriously the fact that Macs are used in real production. And in yeah. real production, you can't, you really, they're under an obligation as the platform provider to to keep stuff like that going. It's not like we can say, wow, remember that cool new thing they added to Apple Script three years ago? Well, I mean, they just want to keep the printing presses running because all that stuff is scripted. Right. Uh, well, it's a huge part of it, a huge part of yeah. all sorts of industries, but print, for example, the shortcut stuff, you know, can definitely do some cool stuff. So, but it is weird because I don't think they're going to get rid of automator because automator is already being used and it's important to some people's production, but it's really, really a similar concept at a basic level to shortcuts. I think they want compatibility. So, because it looks right. like they're going to be trying to do as much as they can to make Siri work consistently across right platform which has been a huge problem previously right and i think that's sort of the difference where automator is for automating mac stuff and mac apps yeah. and it's called siri shortcuts and here i am risking turning on all my devices again by <laughs> saying her name but they call it siri shortcuts and yeah that's exactly it where it, it at a at a, it wouldn't make sense for Automator to be cross-platform because Automator is controlling all this Mac-only stuff, and then you, how yeah. would you, how would your Automator thing work on iOS that doesn't even have these things? Whereas if it stick, if you know, if they've got a vision in mind for this and have had it for a while, I could see how the doing the Siri stuff uh, on the Mac would be cool. And personally, it would be it would be cooler for me, I think, to create it on a Mac where you have a better interface for typing stuff and dragging and dropping and stuff like that. Or even just editing, like you put right. something together while you're out and you just want to tweak a few things about it, but you don't right. have to go in there and mess around with it. It'd be yeah, really good. Yeah. So uh, I, I know that's been rumored. I would expect that to be true. It would be a good sign of just the sort of path that they've been keeping these OSs on where cool stuff on one will eventually reach the other. Uh, you know, even sometimes stuff like dark mode even hits the Mac first, which is you know, yeah. a good sign. And the screen time stuff is just because people keep, you know, yeah. it's, it's a huge issue right now. And I think Apple takes it seriously. I don't think Apple's phoning at home. I know there was that goofy uh, New York Times article a couple of weeks ago about yeah. the, the apps. Uh, I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but these parental uh, 
uh, tracking apps so that parents can monitor what their kids are doing. And they're all, they were all, how in the world, you know, knowing the limitations of the iOS app store, how in the world is an app running on a parent's phone <laughs> controlling and monitoring the use of apps on another phone? And yeah. it was all based on the, uh, what's it called? MDM, the mobile device management. Mobile device management, the stuff that yeah. that is really intended for enterprise users. Uh, and you can say, I know the argument against it is, well, why if it's good enough for the enterprise, why isn't it good enough for parents? And I know that's the argument some of these companies are making. Because well, parents weren't using it. The companies were using it. Yeah. And parents were sort of like the conduit to get to the kids. Well, and I think that Apple, <laughs> and I think correctly so, assumes that when a company uh, – decides somebody who's in charge of the devices at a company decides, okay, I'm going to go with, um, jamf just to name somebody yeah. who's sponsored <laughs> my site many times and, and they know what they're getting into and they know exactly what they're entrusting with jamf or whoever the company is yeah. who's providing. They realize, Hey, we're, we're, we're trusting this company with important stuff. I understand that it works. I understand how I understand the basics of how this whole system works. Whereas parents, I don't think were could be expected to understand that stuff. They just see, oh, I'm allowed to control my kid's phone, and they have no idea that all this usage data is being entrusted to this company that they know nothing about. Yeah, and I mean, in enterprise too, you have the right to get all sorts of audits done on those kinds of companies. Right. But right. Uh, there are rumors that Apple's going to do an API for that, uh, yeah. so that other companies can provide apps that pull the data from what Apple is collecting hmm. and don't have direct access to like your kids' data, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, it should just, be a good middle ground. Yeah, yeah, just the same way that they've done stuff with location and other services or over health, the years. Right? Like you can, right. like you can't pull all the data, right. but you can you can get permission to access the health right. repository. Right. Uh, so, you know, I could see that coming to the Mac. Uh, it would be interesting, I guess, to know. Uh, yeah. But it's a little bit harder to monitor, too. You know, like how much, like if you've got your Twitter app running in the side, but it's not active, but you keep looking at it, you know, it's kind of hard. It's it's just the nature of the Mac's interface makes it harder yeah. to, to sort of pinpoint how much time you're wasting or spending, <laughs> whichever verb you but want. But it feels like, because some companies, they refer to this stuff like digital well-being in a really patronizing way, but Apple has always refer to it in terms of providing you with information so that yeah. you can choose yeah. to act on it, not sort of like you're a bad person and we'll help you dig your way out. Right. Yeah. And I think Apple takes it seriously. I know that the accusation yeah. from these other apps is that how can we, you know, it's nonsense to think Apple really wants you to use your devices less. They've, you know, the, their accusation was that Apple made is, is kicking these apps out of the app store now that they have stuff built into iOS because they want you to use the iOS system because the iOS system is designed not to actually help you limit your phone use because they don't want you to. They want you to keep playing Candy Crush. They don't get paid per minute on. They don't get well, paid per minute on. Well, they do <laughs> okay, if you they do if you're playing Candy guess, Crush, yeah. Candy or, Crush, yeah. or uh, Clash of Clans, or whatever those games are. That's the, the accusation. That's fair. Yeah, but I don't I don't think that's the case at all. I think they really do want you to. Uh, watch OS. There's watch always the App Store directly on the watch. I think is probably the biggest story. Yeah. Yeah, that's the rumor, and I don't. I still. Yeah. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I guess I, I don't. I don't get it. I really don't. I think like when I was taught, I was asking you about it, and he said the the big difference here is that right now, if you want to make a Watch OS app that really only works on Watch OS or makes sense on the hmm. Watch, you still have to make an iPhone app, and the Watch yeah. app can be a part of that. But his hope is that you'll be able to make apps directly for the Apple Watch. 
Uh, I guess that makes sense. And it's sense. also a step towards independence because like we got to iOS 5 before we got iCloud and PC free and we're at watch OS 6 and you're still bound to your iPhone. And this isn't a huge bit of independence, but it's another tick on the road to independence. Where where would you go though to to look at these watch only apps? Would you do it on your watch? That seems insane. It sounds like that's what it is though. You'll probably just scroll through. Using that the seems <laughs> that seems insane. Uh uh you know, but on the other hand, it doesn't make sense to make an entirely new watch app store app and putting an entire app store in the Apple watch app, which would be my, my other guess is that they would just put like a new tab, major tab in the app, the Apple watch app that is on your iPhone, that they would just put the watch app store in that app. Uh, it's interesting because eventually you, you figure like, even if it's three, four years, you're going to want people to just, some people might just want to watch. That'll be like the extent that they need, and they they'll need a way to get apps on that watch directly. I guess I don't know. That's the big rumor, and then they always have health and fitness updates. There's always, you know, it's a, yeah. to me hard to predict. It's hard what they're going to prioritize. You know, voice I, memos, yeah. um, but no notes app. Voice <laughs> still yeah. bugs me because I want notes app on my watch. Yeah, that is a little. It is a bit of an oversight. You know? Yeah, and especially that you you know you can't even dictate to one. Yeah, I mean, I use drafts for that, but I mean, it'd be nice if it had the base functionality and calculator. So James Thompson gets a little bit of the Sherlocking. Yeah, it is a bit weird, and you know, just simple things yeah. like if I invite you over to my house and I want to give you the code to the the gate or something like that, you can make a note yeah. and say John's gate and the code is one two three four. It's weird that you can't get that on your on your watch. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting if they if they made a notes app. Um, Apple TV, I don't, TV OS, I don't, I mean, it would be nice if they updated it, but I don't, I haven't seen any rumors. Uh, no, and usually like every year it's been the TV app that's gotten all the attention, but we just had a whole event right. for that and yeah, a whole and they, relaunch for that. Right, right. It's the TV app where the, 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 the work is going. It's already out. Yeah. We already have it. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't really expect much on that front at WWDC. Uh, I mean, there are things that I want, like I, I, I want keyboard control for games it'd be nice if they had you know that old guy english thing about licensed game controllers with way more games available on them but all of that it's, it's not core watch uh tbos stuff no not really uh and then what else i don't they don't have any other platforms do they no not yet <laughs> not public ones at least what are we missing what are, what, are, what have we forgotten to uh what have we forgotten uh, to the talk name about? i mean the latest rumor for the, the mac os name is mammoth Hmm. See, I thought they would go for Death Valley or Joshua Tree, something inside of Mojave, but mm, Death Valley, Mac Death Valley, <laughs> Death Valley doesn't sound like a does, no. It'd be a good joke for Craig to make before he goes right. to Joshua Tree. But Mammoth, Mammoth doesn't sound. It doesn't necessarily have entirely positive connotations either. No. Uh, uh, but maybe, maybe because maybe if like this whole Marzipan thing is really intended to be a big deal. Uh, maybe mammoth because it's like a mammoth. So the list they had from the trademarks was mammoth, Monterey, Rincon, and Skyline. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like these names. I I don't know. No, <laughs> I, they, I get so confused. As I'm all jumbled up as to which one. I wish we could just go back to numbers. I would just like them because the other there's no there's no public iOS name or Watch OS name or TVOS name. Just drop the ten, the leading ten, and have macOS fifteen. Snell and I complained about that. That's it's just ridiculous yeah. that we're permanently. <laughs> But since since 1999, we've been stuck with 10. 
Yeah. It's ridiculous. Drop it, it, go straight to 15 and get rid of the the marketing names. Yeah, just Mac OS 15. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Solved. Uh, trying to think anything else. I can't uh, wait. I'm, I'm, I know some stuff is leaked. I, I, like I said, I think we've covered that. There's just so much we don't know about what they might do. I mean, no. And the, the state of the union, um, usually follows the keynote and that often years is really exciting too. I mean, it's, it's way geekier and lower level, but it's, yeah, it's usually really interesting as well. Yeah. Um, what about the conference itself? Anything, any, uh, now we're at the third year here in San Jose. I, I still really like it. I mean, the, the, my biggest concern is those two coffee shops closed. I like, know. What, are gonna do? what was the name of that one? Oh, two of them closed. Yeah, there was. I forget the name of the other one, but uh, social policy. Yeah, social policy think, was the yeah. one where everybody we knew was yeah. all, was always hanging out and. Like getting, I think Marco lived there for most of the show. Yeah, my wife went there, and it took like an hour and ten minutes to get a hamburger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shock! You could get a hamburger. Shocker that they closed. So I'm hoping that Apple is super smart and their events team has like pop-up coffee shops set up around the facility. That would be that would be smart, especially if there's unless there's some coffee shops that we never found that have been there for a while. Yeah. It's a well, there's like a terrible Pete's inside the lobby of the hotel. Hmm. What? Because it, it's not really a real Pete's. It's a yeah. Licensed... It's like one of those lobby Pete. Yeah. 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 And they burn their coffee probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I miss San Francisco a little. I yeah. I, I do. I, I don't blame Apple. I, if, if it were my decision to make, I'd say, you know what? This is right. It it makes WWDC feel more Apple-y. San Jose is a more Apple-y place than yes. San Francisco. Uh, just and Moscone is. was under construction for, I don't know if it's finished yet, but it was under construction forever. Yeah. It's probably always under construction. I don't know. Um, but boy, I sure miss the convenience of having a yeah. hand, handful of, or, or more than a handful of decent restaurants for lunch and or dinner, all within yeah. two blocks of wherever you are, and coffee shops all over the place. And oh my God, my, House of Prime, Shields, my beloved uh, Blue Bottle. Oh, I yeah, miss Blue, Blue Bottle. Bottle. Yeah. If they were smart, they'd open one right in front of the conventions. Oh, it's my, my favorite highlight from WWDC for years and years was uh, waking up much later than regular attendees <laughs> with my press badge, going over to Blue Bottle and having a luxuriously uh, brewed cup of, of uh, uh, drip coffee prepared on the spot for me and then slowly sipping it as I walk around the corner around Moscone and greet all my friends who've been waiting in line for hours as I cruise to the front <laughs> with my, with my press badge and my, and they have murder in their eyes. Right. <laughs> right. I can't believe I never got like mugged and had my, my badge taken. I, I missed that. Uh, you, do you like Phil's? You can do that with Phil's. It's about a 15 minute walk though. That's nah, too far. I do like yeah. Phil's coffee, P H I L C, yeah. but, uh, well, 15 minutes seems like too much. Yeah. I forget what I did the last couple of years. I think I just took the free coffee they had for us in the in the media. Uh, I mean, it's coffee is coffee at that early. In, early yeah. in the well, and I don't want to drink too much of it because I know I have to sit yeah. through a two hour keynote, and I don't want to have to you know go up and use the the men's room. Uh, I will I will see you next week. I'm sure. I yes, thank sir. you for your time. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than uh, thank you to Renee. You can read all of his good work at iMore dot com and on youtube what's your uh, youtube channel 
Vector uh, Vector Show slash Vector Show slash Vector Show. I knew it was Vector. I just wasn't sure what the yeah. what the URL type. I couldn't was. get the base URL. I had to get like the addendum. How many How many uh, videos are you doing a week? I, I try to do five. I usually end up hitting four. <sighs> That's a lot of videos. Yeah. Uh, well, it's good work. You're getting better at it every time. Uh, what are you going to do? You so I, I guess that's my other question for you is how, how video heavy are you going into this uh, keynote and the hands-on area? So I'm a little conflicted because when you look at somebody like Marquez Brownlee or even like iJustine, they, they'll do like one big video and they're not in such a rush to get it up because their audiences are just like they have, you know, it's ridiculous, tens of millions of right. subscribers. Um, but I have to cover it for iMore and do video and also, I don't think that they've been doing YouTube. Like Apple hasn't been doing YouTube for as as much time, so they don't schedule it as heavily yeah. for people who are doing YouTube. And I, I have like a normal media person schedule at DubDub, so I'm gonna hope. Like the last year was my first year doing YouTube, and it took me like three days to get a video up, and I was beside myself because I just couldn't do it faster. Uh, so I'm gonna try to prepare better this time. So I hopefully I'll have something up the first day, and then maybe Wednesday, Thursday after that. I have trouble getting my thoughts and observation pieces written, which would be just yeah. like the script for a video, let alone shooting all the B-roll footage that you want in the hands-on area for the limited time that the hands-on area is open, which is usually only about an hour or so after the event, you know, maybe 90 minutes. I forget. I, I get whisked away for briefings at some point. And the point. Verge has like a seven-person team just yeah. smashing that stuff. Yep. And then, well, all for, it's just crazy. I've said it before. I mean, and Apple is totally cognizant of it. And they're, they space the tables out more than they used to. And, and, yeah. you know, effectively they're, they design the table arrangements to be as friendly to the video crews as they can, but it, it, it tempers flare. Cause these guys, and I understand these people are all under a deadline and they got to get, you only have this limited time to get the footage, yeah. but sometimes they want an angle where the camera person is apart from the t- quote unquote talent who's you know yeah. holding the devices or whatever it is and if you walk in between them they like snap at you but it's like what am i supposed to do i mean i'm <laughs> i'm i'm here i want to like, go see a thing i can't you know it's not like there's one camera crew that everybody has to be cognizant of it's at this point it's almost like 50 percent of the people in are in there shooting videos or like two years ago when they had the iPhone 10 introduction, they only had like five iPhone 10s in the entire area. Yeah. And I forget who it was, but like one of the old time journos grabbed one for like 45 minutes. Yeah. And because he's like so well respected, nobody said anything. But like people were just lined up and all like the broadcast and video people were staring death at him. Yeah, it's it can get nasty. And now, I, it, you know, I don't expect, you know, it's the, the iPhone events are for that exact reason or more hectic with the software yeah. with WWDC, who knows, uh, you know, there isn't really quite a hands-on area like, like there is at an, a product introduction thing. Yeah, last year there was none. Right. And the year before yeah. they had a big one because of all the new iPads and Macs. Right. Yeah. They had the, they had the thing with the iMac pro. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the 10.5 inch iPad was new at that. Right. Too. And we might, you know, so we might get something like that where there's a, a, quote unquote new Mac Pro, but you know, behind plexiglass. <laughs> so Yeah, those were in cylinders, right? Like you walked yeah. out of the at Moscone auditorium and there was like four of them in cylinders, yeah. two that were that were with the case on and two yeah. with the case off. Yeah, but they were definitely protected from the touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Don't touch. <laughs> uh, well anyway, good luck. I hopefully maybe I'll sneak Thank into you. your video or something like that. Uh, totally. See you on Monday. Yeah. Good to hear from you. My thanks to our sponsors. Uh, let's see if I can recall them off the top of my head, despite my podcast amnesia. Uh, we had Hello Pillow. We had Linode, where you can go to host your website. And 
LinkedIn, where you can post your job offer and find the right person to hire. So my thanks to them. My thanks to you, Renee Ritchie. See you Monday. Thanks, John. See you Monday.